77 WABC. This is Sit in Friends in the Morning. No, I get by with a little help from my friends. To our holiday travel with Thanksgiving just days away, experts say this could be the busiest season ever. That holiday travel rush is lurking on the horizon. John Wagand with United Airlines told me the airline has been planning for this week since the summer. With bad weather approaching, United hopes to avoid a similar travel meltdown to what we saw last year when a winter storm canceled thousands of flights over Christmas. AAA projects more than 55 million people will travel nationwide for Thanksgiving between Wednesday and Sunday. That's the third highest amount in the 21st century. We want to take you now to the White House. It's that time of year again. President Biden set to pardon two turkeys ahead of Thanksgiving. Let's take a listen in. Before I begin, I'm going to ask for a vote. Do I free the turkeys tonight? I pay. Anyway, I hereby pardon Liberty and Bell. I mean. All right. Yeah. Congratulations, Bird. Save the turkeys, take the president. In Israel. In the Israel-Hamas war, the U.S. says a deal to release some of the more than 200 Hamas hostages could be close. It comes as Israeli military officials have released new video claiming to show terrorist tunnels at Gaza's largest hospital. A top Biden administration official says they are closer than ever to reaching a deal between Israel and Hamas to release some of the hostages. On an issue as sensitive as this and as challenging as this, uh, the mantra that nothing is agreed until everything is agreed really does uh, apply. And now to some breaking news of an increase in online threats against New York as a result of the escalating violence in the Middle East. Governor Hochul is already taking action to beef up security and increase the staffing of the Joint Terrorism Task Force following a new threat assessment by the State Intelligence Center that violence in Gaza is driving chatter about threats to New York targets. I am working hard at the state level with the control I have. I'll be talking about this tomorrow, about exactly what we're doing and how many uh, online threats we've uncovered, how many have been investigated, what the outcome is. Governor Hochul talking about new steps she'll be taking to deal with online threats and radicalization, even as CBS News obtained a new threat assessment, which points to, quote, an increasing terror threat to New York State. The Intelligence Center warning that the spread of anti-Semitic and anti-Palestinian rhetoric on social media is fueling an increase in hate crimes targeting Jews, Muslims, and Arabs. We start, guys, with Zach Wilson. We've probably seen the last of him, but, you know, have we? I don't want to just blanket say that's the end of his career with the Jets, but it should have never been this case anyway, and I think moving forward... They've been embarrassed enough and have egg on the face enough that yeah. it can't be again. I can't take any more. You can't take any more. Jet fans can't take any more. Uh, you know, if Rob Sala ends up losing his job or Joe Douglas ends up losing his job, which I doubt is going to happen, uh, it's all because because of the quarterback. It, you know, what do you do? Like, I think the question for us is like, what would you do? And I'm looking at Coach. What would you do? He has been overwhelmed for three years. I mean, completely overwhelmed. And for some reason... Somebody over there thinks that this is the best way to do it. When I'm sitting here watching Tommy DeVito get his brains beat in, yet still have the guts and the balls to stand in there and lead his team to victory and throw three touchdown passes, something Zach Wilson's never done. Right in the middle of a good dream. Like all at once I wake up from something that keeps knocking at my brain. 
Before I go insane, I hold my pillow to my head and spring up in my bed, screaming out the words I dread. I think I love you. This morning I woke up with this feeling I didn't know how to deal with, and so I just decided to myself I'd hide it to myself and never talk about it. And did not go and shout it when you walked into the room. I think I love you. I think I love you. So what am I so afraid of? I'm afraid that I'm not sure of. A love there is no cure for. I think I love you. Isn't that what life is made of? Though it worries me to say. I think I love you. Yes, I know I love you, Lou Rafino. I know I love you, Justin Ellick. I know I love you, Jimmy Flippin. Somewhere, Noam Layden was getting that nasty thing on his head taken care of today. God, that is grotesque. <laughs> I hope somebody loves that. Uh, it's just he doesn't cover it. I got to look at it every morning. It's just it's grotesque. But I think I love him too. And uh, David Cassidy was the guy that sang this song. He dead now, but he was the star. He was the star of the Partridge family. Shirley Jones, big role, of course, we know that. And um, what was his name? The brother, he's been on my radio shows a million times. Danny uh, Bonaduce. And um, whoever played Reuben Kincaid was a tremendous actor. Dave Madden. And then you had the sister who ended up on uh, L.A. Law. Susan Day. Look at you. You right. are a Partridge not family looking. genius. I'm not looking at anything. I'm <laughs> yeah. looking at you. I love no, you. No, I know. No, you knew all that off the top of your head. Yeah. You are challenging me and Ian Eagle right now for the um, the wealth of information on stuff that nobody cares about. No. Let's see what you wagered, Lou. Uh, <laughs> that's it. Done. Uh, David Cassidy, is today his birthday or his heavenly birthday? He died today at 67. Only a couple years ago, right? 2017. Oh, he's gone already six years. Wow. Yes. yes. Oh, well. David Cassidy continued to, uh, to rest in peace. So at the end of that open today, we played some important stuff like Oh, I don't know, New York may be under some terror attack, but don't worry, Governor Kathy Hochul, she's got it. I mean, I never felt less safe in my whole life than to hear Governor Kathy Hochul say, yeah, I'm on top of this. But we ended the open, uh, Justin Ellick did, with uh, two different sports talk shows in this city. One, Michael Kay, he does afternoons at ESPN, and the other, Boomer Esiason, and he does mornings up against me. Although he's not my competition, I do political talk. He does sports talk. He's on mornings at WFAN with the stupid Geo. And the both of them were talking about the Jets finally benching Zach Wilson. Took three years, but I guess Robert Sella, the coach of the Jets, came to the same conclusion I had all the way back, if you folks listen carefully, in week one. When I had that yelling, screaming match with Mr. Jet himself, Joe Beningo. And the Jets beat the Bills in week one. The defense looked great. The special teams looked great. And Beningo was going on and on about how the Jets are a good football team and they're good enough to win even with this quarterback. And I said, no, they're not. He can't play in this league. 
And of course I was right. It's not a matter whether I was right or wrong. Point is, if I knew that, <laughs> why did it take the Jets so damn long? So now, not only has Zach Wilson been benched, he's not even the backup quarterback. The Jets have now demoted Zach Wilson to third string. Tim Boyle, that's right, the great Tim Boyle will start for the Jets when they take on the Dolphins on Friday, and Trevor Simeon is now Tim Boyle's backup. Zach Wilson, now the third-string quarterback. Who even knows if he'll be active against Miami coming up on Friday? What a disgrace. But as I was listening to uh, Boomer and uh, Michael K, it brought me back to last night. I told you guys yesterday I had Jason Trenert on the show. Jason is a really smart money guy in the same class as a Monica Crowley, a Charlie Gasparino, a Larry Kudlow, a Ronnie Insana. And he's um, he was on yesterday talking about inflation and, of course, interest rates and the real possibility of a looming recession. He's a very, very smart guy. But he puts on this event once a year at the New York Athletic Club where they have live collegiate boxing. They have a whole ring set up on the sixth floor, a couple of hundred people, pretty cool. But before the boxing, they hold this private little dinner for about 70 people, and they have a speaker. And that speaker, nine times out of ten, except for me, talks sports. So over the years, they've had Christopher Mad Dog Russo, Stephen A. Smith, the boxing legend, he's gone now, Burt Sugar. You know, George Cooney, who fought Larry Holmes for the heavyweight championship of the world. Bobby Valentine, former Mets manager. These are the folks that spoke at this dinner before, and last night it was me. So I warned Jason beforehand that I am no longer capable of speaking in front of a live audience for 30 to 45 minutes and just talk about sports like you just heard Michael Kay and Boomer Esiason do. And he said, I don't care. He said, you're the most captivating speaker I've ever heard, whether you're talking politics, sports, talking about Danielle, Gabe, and Ava, talking about Thanksgiving. I don't care. Just talk. And I said, good. So I walk in this room, Lou, Jimmy, and uh, Justin. There's like two women and about 70 men. And the men are dressed to the T, expensive clothing, beautiful jackets, good-looking ties. And I can just about guarantee you that there was nobody there, nobody there who has to eat Taco Bell today because they've got no money. These guys are loaded. You can just tell New York Athletic Club right off the bat is a very fancy place. And I don't know this for a fact, but I'm in New York City And the odds that a lot of those folks in that room are Republican or conservatives, as you guys know, very, very low. So I start this speech, and I basically attack what Justin Ellick just played. Grown men, Michael Kay, Don LaGreca, Peter Rosenberg, Boomer Esaias, and Gio. And Boomer makes a ton of money. Boomer makes a lot more money than I make, a lot more. Both his radio job at WFAN and, of course, all the money he makes with my buddy Bill Sims at the NFL today. He is a multimillionaire. He's a smart guy, kind of like Boomer. 
But I just don't know how grown men can sit inside a studio for four hours a day and talk exclusively sports. I did it. I did it for years. And this is going to sound harsh, but I quote unquote grew out of it. And you can know, I, I could talk sports with the best of them right here, but I'm not going to get into a Tommy DeVito, Zach Wilson discussion on the air. I just can't do it. So right off the bat during this speech last night, I explained to these folks that the first part of my career, the majority of my career, all I did was talk sports, and it took one afternoon in Paris, France, under the leadership, if you want to call it that, of the most feckless president in the history of this country, Barack Obama, for me to decide this is no longer working for me. I've told you this before. That was the day when ISIS attacked a bunch of folks having lunch at cafes, shot them dead right in broad daylight in the streets, blew up bombs at the soccer stadium, and killed a bunch of folks. Very reminiscent of the music festival in Israel inside that amphitheater during a concert. It was a bloodbath and a brutal day. And I could not go into work the next day and talk about the Dolphins and the Bills or the Miami Hurricanes and Georgia Tech or the Miami Heat and the Brooklyn Nets. I couldn't do it. So I didn't. I went to work the next day, and most of my show was about the terror attacks. And I remember getting called in the program director's office after the show, and he said, what are you doing? We talk sports here. You don't order Italian food in a Chinese restaurant. Swear to God. I don't care. The guy's name is Steve Lappa, who now works for Chris Ruddy at Newsmax. And he's a dear friend of mine, and he was the last guy to give me an opportunity in radio when my career was basically over. So I love Steve. But I said, Steve, let me tell you something. I don't care what you talk about here. You hired Sid Rosenberg. He said, yeah, but Joe Rose across the street is talking to Wes Welker. I said, great, then go hire Joe Rose. You hired Sid Rosenberg. And whatever I want to talk about, I'm going to talk about. And if it doesn't work, you can fire me anytime you want. But nobody at any station, anywhere, anytime, is going to dictate to me what I'm going to talk about. I'd rather not work. And he said, okay, here's what I'll do for you. You do the show your way, and in one year, if the ratings take a dive, if nobody's listening, then you're out. I said, you stupid son of a bitch, you know you're going to lose this bet. Of course the ratings are going to be great, and they're going to love me. You got a deal. And what do you think happened? It went so well, that station propelled me to get the interview with Craig Schwab, eventually get hired by Chad Lopez right here at WABC in 2016. It worked. I knew it would work. It was the same exact formula I've done here. There's a story coming out about me today in Barrett Media. Young man that listens to the show every day about my career. And he said, you know, he said, I loved you and Bernie together. And I love and miss Bernard. He said, but it seems like the show is taking off now. And I said, it has. I said, because we used to get very inundated in political talk. A lot of cuts. A lot of political talk. The show now mirrors more of what I did in Miami. 
and more of a morning show feel. And I gave Lou Ruffino the deserved credit for that because Lou likes music and likes sports. Lou's not going to get caught up in Mallorca's talk. So it's true that the show now more mirrors what I did down in Miami. I had success there, and we're having great success now. So I start this uh, speech last night by hammering sports talk, and then I go off on the mayor. You want to see the faces in this room. Then I go off on Joe Biden on his 81st birthday. Then I'm yelling and screaming about my support for Donald Trump. And here's what I got, folks. Shocking. Most, most, the overwhelming majority of the folks sat there and never took their eyes off me. Some cried when I told the stories about attempting suicide and all my drug use. And then there was about two or three people that walked out. And I looked at them and I said, I'm glad you left. I really am. Because at the very beginning of my speech, the guy that introduced me, Jason Trenard, said, here comes Sid. You're going to laugh. You're going to think. You may even cry. And I promise you this, at least one of you will be offended. And to see two or three people walk out gave me, I know it's early, a raging hard-on. Get him out. And I said to these folks, I said, good Much like the movie with Jack Nicholson, you can't handle the truth. A few good men, you can't handle the truth. I said, I can stand up here right now and talk about Tommy DeVito throwing three touchdowns against the Commanders. The Jets benching Zach Wilson. Will Michigan beat Ohio State this weekend without Jim Harbaugh? I can talk about the Knicks and Rangers both having great seasons at Madison Square Garden. But let me ask you this. Right now in New York City, where you live in your fancy suits, living in your fancy Upper East Side apartments with your silver Amex cards, right now in New York City, you are looking at three different criminal elements. And they looked at me like I had four heads. Three. The everyday crime. Just yesterday, another person was slashed on the subway. People get beat up in the streets, mugged, robbed, raped, murdered all the time. The everyday crime. Then you've got the second element, and those are the illegals, the migrants, asylum seekers. Call them what you want. A percentage of those folks commit crimes too. And then you've got the third element, which you haven't seen yet, And that is the thousands and thousands of terrorists that have entered this country, and specifically New York City, since 2021. And now you've got a mayor that told us a couple of days ago, we're not going to have 40,000 cops. We're not going to have 45,000 cops. We're going to have 27,000. So what do you want to talk about, guys? Tommy DeVito, Zach Wilson? or the real likelihood that, I don't know, weeks, months, New York City will be either under terrorist attack or, at the very least, the crime will go through the roof. You tell me what's important to you. And then I got a standing ovation. So there was um, two reasons why, Justin, I had you cut up the Zach Wilson conversation. One was... It is a big local sports story. The other was, 
to let me go off on why, unless I was paid millions and millions of dollars, which I will take, I could never go back and work at a sports station like those guys do every day. Again, I couldn't do it. I just couldn't do it. So it ended up uh, being a great night. People enjoyed themselves. My good buddy Tom Murrow, a lot of you folks in the entertainment business know Tom, handsome guy, was in PR, did television, all that good stuff. He showed up. He was great. Jason Trenert was great. The New York Athletic Club was very, very nice. It's a gorgeous place. You've been there ever, Lewis? No. I the one not. on Fifth Avenue? No. No? No. Not for you, right? Uh, well, you haven't been to a gym probably in. No. Gyms are not for. No, no. that's not for you. No. no. <laughs> Gyms. <laughs> guys strutting around and. Yeah. Just, oh, God, no. No. Have you ever been to the. Where I work out every day, which is like four blocks. From your apartment, the uh, the YMCA. YMCA. I've been I've sat in front of it in my car. Okay, good. Yeah, that counts. Yeah, it does. <laughs> same same air. Justin has never been to the Newark Athletic Club. I'm sure he hasn't. But at any rate, it was a good time last night. We've got a great show coming up later on this morning. I mean, a great show. A ton of big name guests that include Arthur Idala, Curtis Sliwa, Rich Lowry. Miranda Devine makes her way back to the program for the second time in two weeks off of an amazing performance last week. My dear friend Siggy Flicker back on the show. We're going to talk to Rudy Giuliani and then big-time attorney out by me and Lou who is holding his annual North Pole Christmas event coming up this Saturday. It's a big one in the Ponset. My good buddy Joe Murray plus the folks from Villa Marie Claire Hospice. Big, big Tuesday show. Really Thursday because tomorrow is our last show of the week. Happy Thanksgiving everybody. The Tuesday edition of Sid and Friends in the Morning rolls on. Yes, it's five o'clock, I know but you just listen. There's something that I've got to let you know. This is you. This pillow that I'm hugging and I'm kissing. And one more thing before I let you go. Friends in the morning. Seventy-seven WABC.
So here I did spend the whole first segment talking about how silly it seems to me at this point of my life for grown men to be talking sports for three, four hours a day and a little captivated by Monday Night Football last night. I didn't see the game because I had the speaking engagement at the New York Athletic Club, but it was a rematch of last year's Super Bowl 57, the Eagles, Justin Ellick's favorite team, and the Kansas City Chiefs, and the Chiefs, Won their second Super Bowl with Andy Reid and Pat Mahomes. They won that game. But they did it again last night, and the Eagles exacted revenge for the Super Bowl 57 loss. Again, I did not see any of that game. But uh, 21-17 Eagle win. It didn't sound from you this morning, Justin, like this was one for the ages. No, it just seemed like both teams were kind of, uh, I mean, both teams coming off a bye. So there's that. But they just seemed uh, out of it a little bit. The play calling just seemed a little rusty on both sides. Uh, the Chiefs came out uh, stronger in the first half and then came out the second half and really kind of lost it. And uh, both defenses were staunch. You know, it's gotten so bad with the NFL that right now CNN is doing a sports report. They do a sports report every morning, part of their morning show. Forgot this guy's name. He played in the NFL for about 15 minutes. He's a handsome guy. They're actually covering the Eagles-Chiefs game from this angle. You ready for this? The Chiefs' record and offensive production when Taylor Swift is at the game and the Chiefs' scoring and offensive production when Taylor Swift is not at the game. That's when you know the NFL has jumped the shark. I understand the Swifties by jerseys. They do. I understand the Swifties are watching the NFL. It gives them better TV ratings. I understand why the NFL is excited to get Taylor Swift and her, quote-unquote, Swifties interested in the game. But when you're breaking down a real football game, to use Taylor Swift as any statistical barometer is lame and embarrassing. But the Eagles did win, so now there's only one team inside the National Football League with nine wins, and that's the Eagles. Eagles are nine and one. The Lions are eight and two. That's the best record for the Lions since JFK was president, which um, is somewhat timely considering that tomorrow is 60 years to the day that JFK was assassinated. So you got the Eagles, nine wins, the Lions, eight wins, nobody inside the AFC has won at least eight games this year. Seven is as good as it gets in the AFC. But off the top of my head, 
I've got Miami, Cleveland, Jacksonville, Kansas City as the four teams with seven wins. Quick correct. The Ravens are eight and three. They, oh, the Ravens, you're right. Teams, the yes. Baltimore Ravens are the lone eight-win team. Very good. They did lose their big-time tight end, Mark Andrews, for the season last week. As I really go WFAN. <laughs> Can't help myself. Can't help it. But we can get back to the politics, you know. Just when you thought you really couldn't stand these wenches, these witches, these horrible women on The View. Yesterday was Joe Biden's 81st birthday. He is the oldest 81-year-old I've ever seen. I'm sorry. He pardoned the two turkeys two days before Thanksgiving, a big president tradition. I guess the name of the turkeys were Liberty and Bell. Is that right, Lewis? That is correct. That is what I heard. Yeah, me too. So he pardoned the uh, the two turkeys. But um, And let's do that first. Let's get to the pardon. Then we'll get to the Joe Biden mix-up, which is something he does every day. And it goes back to, yes, once again, Taylor Swift. But first, here's Biden pardoning the turkeys. Lou Rapino, this is cut number 13. I hereby pardon Liberty and Bell. (laughs) Shut up. (laughs) All right. Congratulations, birds. Congratulations, birds. He could have been talking to you, Alec, about your eagles. But then he goes on in his attempt to, I guess, get somewhat pop culture at 81 years old. He's talking about Liberty and Bell, and he compares them to a modern-day female pop star. But he, he mixed up the two. You're going to hear it here. Here's another mess-up from Joe Biden, Lewis, cut number 13. Now, just to get here, Liberty and Bell had to beat some tough odds in competition. They had to work hard to show patience and be willing to travel over a thousand miles. You could say even this harder than getting a, a ticket to the Renaissance tour or, 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 or hey, Britney's tour. She's down in Britney's tour. It's kind of warm in Brazil right now. Brazil. <laughs> Look, folks. You hear this? So the idiot in charge, the imbecile in charge, in his attempt to be pop culturish about Liberty and Bell, confused Britney Spears with Taylor Swift. Joe Biden is a dummy. Play that one more time. You got to hear this. First of all, he completely loses his train of thought completely, which he does all the time. He just kind of he loses it. And then again, in his attempt to mention Taylor Swift. This moron mentions Britney Spears. Once again, cut number 13. Now, just to get here, Liberty and Bell had to beat some tough odds in competition. They had to work hard to show patience and be willing to travel over a thousand miles. You could say even this harder than getting a, a ticket to the Renaissance tour or or, or, or Britney's tour. She's but, but, down in. It's kind of warm in Brazil right now. Warm in Brazil, that's right. Look, folks. Yeah, yeah. There's your president. But that doesn't stop these, again, these wenches on the view from just um, jacking this guy up, man. They love themselves a little Joe Biden. Ana Navarro, for one yesterday, said that unlike Trump, every time Trump speaks, I laugh. I think Donald Trump is hilarious. I really do. But unlike Trump, Navarro contends Biden is funny. I'm serious. 
Ana Navarro, straight from The View, ABC, cut number 14. One thing that, uh, that Joe Biden does have that Donald Trump does not have, in addition to a heart, a soul, and a good brain, right. yeah. is... And a clean and a clean record, uh, yeah. a legal record. Yeah, in he the does. Sense of humor. Yeah, you dumb bitch. Here is uh, Sonny Hostin, another idiot on the View, and she says that. Well, I can't even say it. I won't even repeat it. Here's Sonny Hostin on the View yesterday, also complimenting Joe Biden. He is the incumbent, and um, I think he has a record that he can stand on and be proud of. President Biden. He has really return the soul in many respects to this country, which was his promise. So I believe he kept that promise. Oh, he did. One thing that I am slightly concerned about is we know that no nominee, Democratic nominee, can win without the black vote. Uh That's that's a stat, and that's been for decades. And I do wonder, because (laughs) voting rights are still under attack. Just stop. I'm begging you. Joe Biden has returned the soul to this country. Uh, I love this country. I say it every day. I proudly wear my American flag pin on my sport jacket every day. In the worst of times, which we are experiencing right now, Sonny, in the worst of times, this is the greatest country in the world. But right now, the one thing this country does not have, along with, along with a good economy at home and decent foreign policy, is soul. We've got no soul. Nobody respects anybody. Nobody likes anybody. The racial divide is as big as ever. Every group hates the other group. You have more hate crimes committed in the United States in the last six months than the prior six years. But it goes back to my speech last night. These people just don't know. You understand that? Sonny Hostin makes millions of dollars a year. Sonny Hostin hangs out with people like Mark Simone at night at fancy restaurants and places like the Yale Club. Sonny Hostin has no idea that everyday Americans, which consists of about 99% of our population, are trying to figure out how to put a turkey on the table on Thursday. She is so out of touch so insensitive and so stupid. She's pathetic. Thank you, Mr. President, that it should hurt your feelings. But it won't because everybody goes on with their lives because, as Chaz Terry once said, as the brilliant character Sonny in a Bronx tale, nobody cares. Traffic with Joe Nolan and Arthur Idala coming up next. Right now, it's time for the 77 WABC minicast clip of the day. Get the whole story in under 10 New York minutes. Download and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and get the max out of mini. Today's minicast is from Katz and Cosby. Here, John Katz-Matidis, my man, and Rita Cosby talk with our good friend, New York Post columnist, Michael Goodwin. Biden aides are trying to make it so he doesn't have to walk so far, and they want him to wear more like tennis shoes so he's less likely to fall. This is the level of political guidance that the White House has come up with in order to protect him from the reality. And look, I'll just say, I don't think the issue is that Joe Biden is too old. I know a lot of 80- and 81-year-olds. I know some pretty sharp 90-year-olds. 
Joe Biden has a problem that's not necessarily related to age. He's befuddled. He's lost. He, you know, I think it's an, a, a version of early dementia that we're witnessing. This is Sid on Sports. Oh, my goodness! Sponsored by Peerless Boilers on 77 WABC. Justin Ellick here, their bottom of the hour sports update sponsored by Pete Morgan and Peerless Boilers. Go to PeerlessBoilers.com, PavilionTankless.com to find a dealer near you. They're the world's best built boilers. Week 11 wrapped up last night with a Super Bowl 57 rematch between the Philadelphia Eagles and the Kansas City Chiefs on Monday Night Football. After allowing the Chiefs to methodically build a 10-point halftime lead, the Eagles shut out Patty Mahomes and company over the final 30 minutes. Jalen Hurts overcame a poor start in a cold, driving rain to run for a pair of touchdowns. And his go-ahead tush-push or brotherly shove in the fourth quarter allowed the Eagles to walk away with a 21-17 victory with the win. Philadelphia improves to a still NFL best 9-1 overall on the year while the Chiefs drop to 7-3. As for an update on Zach Wilson and his starting quarterback status with the New York Jets, he was indeed officially removed from the position yesterday by head coach Robert Sala, making way for Gang Green's new QB1 in Tim Boyle, who will start Friday against the Miami Dolphins at MetLife Stadium. Trevor Simeon will be signed from the practice squad and will serve as Boyle's backup on Friday, and Wilson will be the number three quarterback under the NFL's new emergency quarterback rule. This marked the uh, third benching in the past 13 months for Wilson, who very well might have played his last game for the New York Jets. On the hardwood, the Knicks fell on the road in Minnesota against the Timberwolves by a score of 117-100. to Jalen Brunson went for 25 to lead the contest in scoring, while Julius Randle would go for 21 of his own for New York in the loss. They'll get to mull it over until Friday night when they welcome in the Miami Heat into the Garden. As for the uh, Nets, they remain off until tomorrow night in Atlanta where they're set to face the Hawks. And finally, on the ice, the Rangers blew a two-goal lead against the Stars and fall 6-3 to in Dallas. Trocek, Kako, and Goodrow scored for the Rangers before Dallas's Mason Marchment scored the tie-breaking goal in the third period. That would catapult the Stars to victory and still early in the season, but losing has become a foreign feeling for these Blue Shirts that came in with a four-game winning streak, an 11-game point streak, and a club record 12 wins in their last 15 games. That's sports. Sponsored by Pete Morgan and Peerless Boilers. Go to PeerlessBoilers.com, PavilionTankless.com to find a dealer near you. They're the world's best-built boilers. I'm Justin Ellick on 77 WABC. Entertaining and informative. This is Sit in Friends in the Morning. 77 WABC. I'm going to talk to famed defense attorney, my dear friend Arthur Idala, coming up momentarily. But it seems uh, all the big news agencies this morning are talking about this hostage deal between Israel and Gaza is imminent. Could be announced as early as today, a five-day ceasefire. You know, on a very anecdotal note, the more people I speak to in Israel, where I become a major star. A lot of those folks think a lot of these hostages are dead. Well, I have no idea whether they are or not, but if they had 240 and killed 100, 140 is still a lot of bargaining power. That's why they kept taking as many hostages as they could. Anyway, with the latest on this story, Noam is out. Jim Flippin doing a great job filling in. Jimmy, what do you got for me? Hey, Sid, yeah, so basically uh, we're actually hearing from various news outlets 
outlets that Hamas claims to be nearing the deal with Israel that could see these hostages freed. The White House has said talks are getting close to the end. You mentioned it could be announced as soon as today, as basically this official response from Hamas was delivered to officials in Qatar, which uh, has been mediating alongside Israel and the United States for the release of upwards of 200 hostages. Any potential deal expected to include the exchange of hostages for Palestinians held in Israeli prisons. So this will be kind of like a prison swap uh, hostages for, for prisoners. And according to the Washington Post and people familiar with the negotiations, uh, those people being currently held in Gaza that were taken hostage uh, through those terrorist attacks back on October 7th, they could be released within several days. And this is a six-page deal that would require Israel and Hamas to freeze combat operations for at least five days. Yesterday, the White House said that basically it's getting close, but that there were still some details that needed to be ironed out. All right, good job, Jim. I'm interested to hear what Siggy Flicker has to say coming up at 845. Uh, So about uh, two weeks ago, Danielle and I got invited on the air by Alan Dershowitz, the great constitutional attorney Alan Dershowitz, and my next guest, my dear friend Audie Idala, actually represented Alan in his uh, Jeffrey Epstein case. Anyway, we get invited to this uh, to this movie theater in the East Village to watch this two-hour-long Alan Dershowitz documentary. You guys remember, I came in the next morning, and I was blown away just how good it was. This guy was involved in all three impeachments, Nixon, Clinton, and Trump, talking about major cases like O.J. Simpson, Mike Tyson, Jeffrey Epstein, even all the way back to a guy named Harry Reams, who was the male star in the movie with Linda Lovelace, the porn classic Deep Throat. It was an amazing two hours. And in that movie, more than once, was Audie Idala during those Jeffrey Epstein days. Audie, have you seen that documentary yet? And if you haven't, I have to tell you, I'm not blowing smoke up Dershowitz's ass a thousand times better than I ever could have imagined. What's up, my man? I was actually in Machu Picchu, Peru, when I know. the airing of that of that thing. My parents went. My mom and dad were there, and my love partner, Judge Cammons, was there. Um, I haven't seen it. And there's another one coming out on, I think it's on Newsmax. It's like an hour and a half long documentary that I apparently I'm, I, I'm featured in. Look, one of the greatest compliments. I'm going to sound like Sid Roseberg. One of the greatest compliments I've ever gotten in my life. And I, this is... <laughs> This is the truth. The New York Times did a big two-page spread on me in the cover of the business section, and there's a picture of Dershowitz and myself. And Alan Dershowitz's quote is, Arthur Idala is the next me. Wow. Meaning I'm the next Alan Dershowitz. Oh, that's a big deal. Alan didn't like it because he said it made him sound like an egomaniac. But he's so far from an egomaniac. Anyone who knows him for five minutes uh, knows that he is he is the most down to earth regular guy, always there to help. But he's got a he's got a golden brain, and he is so tenacious. You know, I've, I've besides having represented him, I've worked on I still work on cases side by side with him. And even when the judge says no and rules against us, Alan doesn't stop. He keeps arguing and arguing, and he may not turn the judge's head all the way around, but he usually gets something back. And that's that old school. Jewish, Italian, because my old man's got the same thing as well. You never give up. You never accept defeat, and you just keep fighting and fighting. And last night, my wife's best friend, Lisa Weinstein, calls me, and she's like, 
I know you're close with Dershowitz. With Dershowitz, I want you to tell him. I mean, he spoke at my wedding, and Lisa was in our party, wedding party. She was. I want you to tell him I will work for free. I, what he's doing for Israel, how he's become the spokesperson for this. I will do anything he wants. I'll be his secretary. I'll deliver papers for him. I'll read things for him. Everyone is talking about what an unbelievable job he has done over the last, uh, I guess it's six weeks now. No, he's done a very good job. I mean, one of the things that did disappoint me in the documentary was they had three or four people that uh, narrated quite a bit throughout the movie. And outside of Alan, the person that appears most in the movie is Ron Kuby. And I know, oh, I know Alan. Man. Yeah, so your Alan. Main man. Right, so Alan loves Israel. This is why he has not done the best job. I've done the best job because I can <laughs> promise you that I'd never put Ron Kuby in a documentary, especially when you consider that Ron Kuby took not six days, not six months, but six hours to put on his Facebook page basically sympathizing with the Palestinian people and almost almost saying Israel deserved what they got. That's a, that's well, a true story. You can't blame Dershowitz for having Kubi in there because I can tell you for a fact Dershowitz had very, very little to do with that with that documentary. Um, but believe me. I... No, no. Actually, it's funny because we had dinner afterwards with uh, Alan and his wife, who's a uh, lovely, but I really thought for the most, uh, most, most of the night she hated me because she despises Donald Trump and I love him. But, um, Alan even said at dinner, I'm not going to talk to him anymore. And I wouldn't have put him in the movie if I would have known, but the, the guy who made the movie who was there at dinner too, he's a sweet guy. John Curtin, he liked Kobe's role. But listen, it is what it is. I do want to get to the Polly Prep scandal. Uh, you went to Polly, you were a little younger than me. Me and Takapina, of course, in the same grade. But this really horrendous story comes out about Jet, uh, of course, uh, legendary quarterback Joe Namath a couple days ago that, uh, Phil Foglietta, who was the football coach at Poly Prep. And we know he was kind of the high school version of what Jerry Sandusky did alongside Joe Paterno at Penn State. Sandusky was guilty of raping some of his players. And that is allegedly what Phil Faglietta did at Poly Prep. And according to the latest story, Joe Namath knew about this, knew what Faglietta was doing, turned a blind eye, and continued to have Faglietta work at his camp. What do you know about this story, and well, how embarrassing I mean, is it for Poly Prep? It's look the embarrassment for Poly Prep, which I, it's a school that I love, and, and literally some of my closest friends are still from Poly Prep. Um, it, it I, I, God bless you for using the word allegedly, because you're like now you sound like the lawyer. Hold on, you know how many times Danielle? You know how many times Danielle has texted me when I tell a story? She literally texts me and goes, "Say allegedly, say allegedly." She's right. Yeah, no, but with with Fogliata, it's not allegedly anymore, um, and it really, it never was. It's a hard thing to say, but it's we kind of all knew. There was something going on. I mean, Coach, what you have to understand is he was the, one of the winningest coaches in, in high school sports, and he was like a god walking around the campus, and everyone feared him. Um, but he always had like two or three boys around him. Typically, they weren't football players. They were like the manager of the team or the statistician of the team. But somehow or another, even at 13, 14, 15, remember he had that cage in the back where yes. he would sit in the locker room. Like, I knew somehow or another, like, don't go back there alone. Now, I wasn't one of his targets. His targets was typically young boys who did not have dads. And I had a very prominent father. 
So I wasn't, I, uh, he wasn't really going to mess with me. But uh, it was kind of known. And through the years, now with all of these lawsuits coming out, and Polly's had to play millions of dollars, um, it's come out that some, some people, some coaches at the school knew that, and, and I'm not saying they walked in and they saw it, but they knew or should have known. And everyone knew that if you were really good and, and, and coach loved you, you get to go to Joe Namath's camp. And don't forget, this is only 10 years after he won the Super Bowl, not decades. And like, wow, to go to Joe Namath's camp with coach, it's the greatest thing you could do. And apparently when he was there, he was doing horrible things. And again, it's something where Joe Namath knew or should have known that, you know, why is this guy hanging out with a 12-year-old boy at, at, in this location at this time? And it's, you know, it's, it's heart-wrenching because a couple of these guys have killed themselves. One guy who I know I represented became a drug addict. Because when you're 12, 13, 14 years old and a big prominent coach is touching you in your private place parts so many times that you've gotten calluses or, or, or sores on it, it's, it's absolutely horrific. So it's a, it's a horrible mark on the school that I loved so much, but it's a reality. And God willing, with modern technology and people being more aware of these things, Something like this, you know, will never happen again anyway. You know, you said a couple of times it's a horrible blemish for Polly, and it, and it has been for many, many years. Uh, so uh, nothing is new with Polly. The, the story now becomes Joe Namath. I mean, you look at the history of great athletes in New York, even now. Five decades after the Jets beat the Baltimore Colts in Super Bowl three, when you talk about the greatest New York sports legends, I don't care if you mentioned Derek Jeter, I don't care if you mentioned Mickey Mantle, Lawrence Taylor, it doesn't matter. Joe Namath always at the top of the list. If that turns, if this story turns out to be even a little true, Joe Namath's legacy is absolutely destroyed. I'm, I'm respectfully disagreeing with you. Lawrence Taylor trumps. Uh, Joe Namath, any day of the week. The book just came out. The uh, one hundred. The book just came out. I bought it on Sunday. The greatest one hundred and uh, listen, players, listen, listen, listen. And the greatest defensive player in listen, the book is the, no, Taylor, no, no one has more uh, respect for LT than me. It's not even close. Joe Namath won a Super Bowl with a team that was a seventeen-point underdog, and Joe Namath is the reason why you've got the modern-day NFL because he was integral in the AFL NFL merger. So while Lawrence was a, maybe a better player, certainly was, and revolutionized the linebacker position, when you talk about the most important figures in the history of the league, it ain't LT, it's Joe Namath. So the question uh, is, is his whole legacy destroyed after a story like this? The only reason why I might say no is because it, it happened so long ago. And so it's like when you and I complain about these women who come forward 30 years later and say somebody did something, you know, like, okay, kid, you're 62 now, this guy is, who's complaining. You were 12 when this happened. Like, you know, where, where have you been for 50 years? Like, literally 50 years. So that diminishes somewhat of the impact of all of this. And I don't think there's – I don't know if there's any evidence saying, you know, Joe Namath opened the door and there's Coach Foglietta naked with a kid. I think it's more of – you should have surmised from all the circumstances around you what was going on, and you should have put it. Let, uh, let me let me remind you. Let me remind you that they took away coaching victories and a lot of the wins from Joe Paterno for just being there as well. In other words, they didn't have any of that proof on Paterno either when Jerry Sandusky was doing what he was doing, but they came to the realization there's no way he couldn't have known, and they but did Jerry attack Sandusky his record. Right. 
Jerry Stan- Sandusky stood trial. It was an international trial. It was broadcast everywhere. I was having dinner with Juan Williams, and I, I just listened to my first martini, and Shep Smith calls me, where are you? I'm like, I'm having dinner. Are you sober? Yeah, you got to get on the air. They just reached a verdict in Sandusky. And I ran over to the Fox Channel and took the verdict with Shep. That was such a hyped-up thing, yeah. and it was much more recent. You know, yeah. As I said, yeah. we're talking about something that happened 50 years ago. So right. Right. I think Namath is going to – it's a blemish. It's a black spot, but Namath is going to survive. Before I let you go, because I loved your argument with uh, Judge Napolitano about the First Amendment, just remember what Justice Scalia told me. He hated – he hated the fact that he ruled that you can burn the American flag, but he voted – on that case about whether you're allowed to burn the American flag as, as a First Amendment right, he voted with the most liberal people on the court ever, Thurgood Marshall and Bill Brennan, who he was quite fond of Bill Brennan. And he said, as much as I hated it, I knew it was the right thing because we can't make rulings on cases just because we think the people who are saying it are morons or what they're saying is moronic. The best part of this, the foundation of this country, is everyone has a right to be a moron if that's what they choose to be, as long as it's not causing direct harm to somebody. So we got to let people be assholes. Oh, I'm not supposed to say that. No, you can say that on my show. It's okay. I know, but my mother doesn't like when you curse. Okay. Uh, When when I curse? Yeah. She doesn't like when you curse. She goes, he uses such horrible language. He went to poly prep. Why is he using such horrible language? That's why. Um, But the bottom line is, you know, we have to let people be absolute idiots Okay. Because that's the difference between our country and Turkey and China and okay. parts of Korea. Well, it's funny you say that Scalia, because and, and Scalia is on uh, agrees with this, and it killed him. His wife gave him such a hard time that he ruled that you could you could burn the American yeah, flag, yeah, and they burned it in front of the stupid. 1984 convention stupid. in stupid. Texas. Yeah, stupid. When when Reagan when Reagan was was going you know, his second time getting. Um, you know, sworn in, not sworn in, but when he won the convention, yeah. this guy in Texas burnt the flag. He was convicted. And Kuby's mentor, Bill Consular, argued it in the Supreme Court of the United States. And all the conservative guys like Rehnquist said, no, 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 the flag is too powerful. Even Justice Stevens, who turned out to be a liberal, said, no, you can't burn the American flag. It is too much of a symbol of this country. And the liberal guys and Scalia said, nope. When if just because something's unpopular, we can't say yeah. that uh, you, you know you can't do it. The yeah. government should not have that. Power. Yeah, he's wrong. He's wrong. Uh, and that brings me to this story quickly. We have to run here, but my new favorite person in the house, New York Rep. Anthony D'Esposito, who's been on the show now for four consecutive weeks from today or yesterday's New York Post, he wants the River to the Sea chant officially condemned as anti-Semitic and wants to put these people in jail. I love Anthony D'Esposito. It spits in the face of what you just said. I read it. I read it. It doesn't say anything about putting people in jail. He told me that personally. Okay, but I read it. You sent me the article and I read it. He said it to me personally. Okay, but that's not what it says in in this. I don't care what the article says. He wants to put these bastards in jail. No, he wants them to be condemned for saying that. And then go to jail. Well, you can't put handcuffs on people for saying stuff that you don't like. Well, I'm not sure about that. There's hate speech. They're asking for the extermination of Jews. 
Not just stuff I don't like. I mean, that's that's hate speech. They're calling for murder. Look, look, we'll end this conversation where we began it. Ask Dershowitz. You already asked Napolitano, who's brilliant, yeah. and he said that was correct. You asked Dershowitz whether they could go out there and scream yeah, this. Ask anybody. The no one's going to make up my mind. I don't give a crap what courtroom you've been in. I know. Yeah, it doesn't matter <laughs> if it's true or not true. I don't, 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 I don't care. Just that's love, right. Just love everybody. I'm just a better American than the rest of you people. That's I, all. I, 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 <laughs> and how about how about, rules. The, how, how about the councilwoman, the Jewish councilwoman who allegedly had a gun in her waistband at the parade, and somehow or another, her great lawyer got the case dismissed last week. Was that e- about that one? Was that Ina Vernikov and you? You got it. No, you're the best. I got to run. You really are the best. This was a great conversation. First of all, have a happy Thanksgiving. Tell your mom and dad I love them. We'll do it again next week. Artie, thank you so much. Be good, brother. Thank you. Arthur Idala, the man. That wraps up our number one, a very spirited hour number one. We are just getting started, folks. Hour number two, you'll get Jimmy flipping with the news. And a bit late, we'll get to Curtis Sliwa and Rich Lowry, a big 7 o'clock hour about to come your way. In the morning, 77 WABC. Watch me! Watch me! I got it! Watch me! I got it! Hey! I got something that makes me want to shout. I got something that tells me what it's all about. You like this old James Brown for Curtis Sliwa. Well, so Danielle's said, furious. You said who has soul. Yeah. Who has soul. There's James no Brown. soul left in this country. So Danielle's furious at uh, Jim Flippin. Not only Jim Flippin's fault, but Flippin talked about how this potential hostage deal could be done as early as today. And Hamas is saying, and she said, you're going to lose me right there. I don't want to hear what Hamas is saying. If you've got U.S. officials saying something, if you've got Israel saying something, I don't want to hear Hamas. You know, she's really right. Not as if Hamas all of a sudden is legitimate or trustworthy. Although I'm watching CNN and Fox News and they're all kind of saying the same thing. But she makes a fair point. You know, we we keep reporting what Hamas says and they're just a bunch of diabolical murderers right. well, how about with, this? With, with no credibility, none. How about this? Uh, ask Danielle, does she want me to give the guy a beatdown? I mean, I could get my Jim Louisville Flippin? slugger out, <laughs> and I could break his shoulder, break his arm. He'll never mention Hamas again. How about that? Well, that's not a bad idea, but I like Jimmy. I don't even want to do that. Curtis, of course, noon to one every weekday gets big ratings. It's the Rip and Read. It's a great show. Also hosts uh, Overnight Weekends, gets big ratings, and does great work with me five days a week here on Sitting Friends in the Morning. Well, let me ask you a question. King David, but you're going to be King Solomon now. 
Yeah, well, I'm going to stay at the King David Hotel in Jerusalem. Still, no, I am still getting no, messages need... from people all over the world who want to send this show sometime in January to Jerusalem. Good, good. But I want you in Hebron. I want you in Far I am not going Gush to Hebron. Etzion. No. That's right in the middle of the action. But anyway, uh, the deal on the table, three Palestinian prisoners for every one Israeli hostage. Yes or no, King Solomon? Three Palestinian hostages. Right, for everyone. For 200? Israeli hostage returns. So oh that would make God. 50 times three, 150 Palestinian prisoners in the jails of Israel would be swapped for the 50 women and children. Is this the actual deal? Yes. Or, or is this a hypothetical? No, this is the deal, three for one. Now, in the past, Israel sometimes has given 100, 200 prisoners just for the dead remains of an IDF soldier. Well, that's Israel values life. Yeah. These animals don't care. A, they just have no respect for humanity, and B, they're stupid enough to believe they're going to die and bump into 72 virgins, these morons. But what would you do, King Solomon? Three Palestinians for every Israel. Terrorist prisoners in the jails of Israel for every one Israeli hostage. There are 50 women and children. Here's what I would do. Okay. I would make that deal. I would get my women, my children, my 50 Israeli and American hostages home. Yeah, yeah. And then after five days, that's the deal. The ceasefire is over. And then I would go find all these people and kill every single one of them. You mean the ones you released? The ones I released. Plus, explain this to me. I see a picture in today's paper of the quote-unquote leader of Hamas. A picture. He's out there. I don't care if he's in Qatar. I don't care if he's in Egypt. I don't care where he is. Why is anybody talking to this guy? Why isn't this guy blown to a thousand pieces? Explain that to me. He's in Qatar. That's the Switzerland of the Persian Gulf, the Middle East. That's where everybody goes to negotiate. Remember, the Taliban were there. Uh, Islamic Jihad is there. Uh, Hezbollah is there. The only ones who are not there is Israel. That's it. That's it. Yeah. But that's where they're doing the negotiations. I know. I know. Well, let's move to the uh, negotiations here in the United States. I saw this. You gave this to me just this morning. It is a Curtis Slee one. Is this on X or Instagram? This is on Facebook. Make it easy for our audience to see it. It will make you cry. You always cry. Yeah, this is going to make you cry. So By the way, Kelly Ripper has a new book out where she talks about just like you. She always cries. Is that right? You have to see it. That's why her and I get along Part so well. Part of the anxiety she ha says is every time she walks to work, she cries. She breaks down. I, she's like a twin of yours. <laughs> You're always crying. That's why we get along together so well. So there's a picture of uh, looks like a very young girl. 22. Destitute. Nope. And then a building, and it reads, the Coney Island Guardian Angels are looking after Yolanda Mendoza. She is 22 years old and nine months pregnant. Oh, my God. She's originally from Florida. She was staying in a shelter in New York City until she and others were removed, come on, to make room for more migrants. She was able to stay in the shelter for a while as she could speak Spanish and served as a translator to help shelter staff. She sleeps at night behind the, oh, I'm going to cry, the B-32 bus. And by day, she sleeps under the scaffolding across the street from Nathan's. 
She's nine months pregnant. Why is the city cutting resources for women like Yolanda when a pregnant migrant woman would be provided with more help? This is disgraceful. Now, last night, while we're taking care of Yolanda Mendoza, nine months pregnant, any moment, she's going to bring that birth, uh, that baby to birth. Who was at Lincoln High School? Swagger man with no plan. I'm going to play cuts of what he said yesterday. It's going to turn your stomach. Town hall meeting in the gymnasium where many uh, uh, PSAL championships have been won. They got all the banners up there. And just a f- like five blocks away is this woman with no place to stay. Who's ours? She's an American. Why is he taking care of migrants, illegals? Why isn't he taking care of Yolanda Mendoza? Let's see if anybody from the mayor's staff, they all will listen to you, or his very dear sickle fan, Tody and Lackey, Arthur Idella, actually are going to try to go out and help this woman. We've been helping as best we can. They have the resources. What, to put her up in the Half Moon Hotel? They've never rehabbed that. Remember, that's where Abe Rellis proved that people can't fly when they get thrown out of a window because they're rats. What the hell is this, Sid? Right before Thanksgiving, a woman is going to give birth. Do you know how bad the weather is going to be later? It's going to be two to three inches. She's going to be behind that bus shelter right where the subway station is. With Stillwell Avenue and Coney Island. She has red hair. Look at her. She's easily identifiable. Come on, swagger man with no plan. You actually put up a video months ago, which... Again, made me cry. But it was uh, during the the heat of the migrant crisis. It was about the time that Eric Adams started to blame the quote-unquote national government. When he does that, I want to puke. Just say Joe Biden, okay, Eric? Just say Joe Biden, the national government. Stop that nonsense. But anyway, you put up a video of a lady, a little older than Yolanda, but a lady sleeping on a bench park. Central Park, 110th Street, just outside that subway station. No shoes on, uh, just dirty and filthy. And you stood behind the bench and you pointed out that these migrants are staying at four-star hotels. But what about this lady? So when people say, Curtis, that part of the reason why they're angry with the mayor, above and beyond him allowing this, him actually encouraging it till he stopped, and now, of course, cutting New York fire police sanitation People say he treats Americans and vets worse than the migrants. And you're here to say that's true. You could see it. He prioritizes them, and he gives nothing. This is a pregnant woman, nine months pregnant. By the way, Arthur Idala, he was where? Machu Picchu? Yes. Machu Picchu. When all the FBI raids were taking place. By the way, there were 12 FBI raids on the day that uh, Eric Adams' uh, fundraiser was hit in uh, Crown Heights, remember when he came back from Washington? Yeah. And I'll give you credit because the media reported only the Brianna Suggs raid in Brooklyn, and you said to me, Sid, Sid, there was a ton of them. I go, no, there wasn't. Just Suggs. You go, Sid, wait. And you're right. Now, now at least a dozen. Why would Artie Idella be 7,000 feet above sea level oh, in the deep jungle? <laughs> you you need a 26-mile He hike. had this trip planned for two oh, years. Yeah, sure. Two Arthur years. Uh, is a spiritualist, right? Is into homeopathic, <laughs> holistic yes. belief. Get out of here. Yes. He was avoiding the FBI raiding him because, remember, no. he held the fundraiser that I said, Let's see if he dotted every I and crossed every T. He did all of that. Who was outside protesting his office? Uh, Let me guess, you. Yes. (laughs) 
And by the way, can I salute Peter King? Because Why would you want to salute? No, you, you, you hated Peter King. Peter King yesterday on the 5 o'clock roundtable discussion yeah. added his name to Brian Kilmeade yesterday and Joe Borelli, who was like half and half endorsing me for my yeah, no, he, he did a very good job, Joe Borelli. Yes, he did. But okay. it was uh, not as uh, enthusiastic as Peter King. Peter it's, King, uh, we can't click the police force. Uh, uh, it's absolute insanity. It makes no sense. My good friend Curtis would have taken care of that. And I did support you, no matter what you'd say. You know, uh, look, yeah. I, look. <laughs> no, I'm sure like, you, you, cannot, look, you cannot cut the police. You need more cops. I think Eric more Adams cops. wants to do the right job. Yeah, he's got to do, do it. He's got to do it. He wants to do the job. right job. He's got to do it. Wow, look. So we have Brian Kilmeade. Right. Obviously, you said you're going to be my campaign manager. Right. Joe Borelli, who was a foe. Yes. Peter King, who was a foe. Not just a foe. I mean, during those Gilgo Beach days, and, I mean, you guys really clashed. I mean, big time. And now Peter King. Also, uh, Bo Deedle was another guy. Yes, that's correct. You right. can add him to the list. I want to hear it from him, though. I no, want to you hear can it hear from him. him. That's fine. Yeah. yeah. And you are doing a magnificent job lining them all up. Except I notice, once again, I'm being left out of a deck of cards. A deck of cards. You mentioned that Saturday a major event is taking place in the Ponset, where Abe Beam, the mayor, used to live. That's who's, correct. Who's hosting that event? That would be, uh, in fact, he's going to join me on this program at 9.30 today. Ah. Another guy. Another guy, Curtis, like Bo and Peter King and Borelli, who not that long ago hated you, wanted you dead, and now likes you, and that would be the very prominent attorney, my friend Joe Murray. But I haven't been invited to Saturday's Whoa. event. You are incorrect. He has not reached out to you directly, but through me, he invited you to Saturday's event. And he's going to be endorsing me there in front of thousands of people in the Irish Riviera, all of whom voted for me against Eric Adams. You know that. I do know that. I wouldn't go as far as getting an endorsement. But I would just show up for the cheesesteaks and uh, hop on stage Shit, at two seconds. I want endorsements. That's your job as Eric my campaign Adams manager. Gonna, but Eric Adams was there last year. Yeah, that's why they snubbed me and kept me away. Because they know I would have gotten a standing ovation. Probably. In the Irish Riviera. People no, are there they love you from there. Broad Channel. Yep. They're there from Breezy the Ponset Bell here. Breezy Point. They come in from Marine Park. They come in from everywhere to be there. It is the event of the year. And I did not get my invitation, even though I sat at Rocco's. No, you, you, you're getting an did invitation. Did I sit with yes, Joe Muir at yes. Rocco's? With my friend Vinny and Vinny. But both named Vinny, they own Rocco's. By the way, Danielle's got a pretty good idea here. She was moved by your whole uh, Mendoza story. Yolanda Mendoza. And she said, why couldn't somebody who's been very critical the last couple of days of the mayor, very, somebody who's got a lot of money and a lot of Instagram friends... What about Cardi B showing up to support Yolanda Mendoza? Mm. That makes a lot of sense. Right? Latino, Mendoza. That's Cardi, right. She's sick about the city. She's angry with people like that. You get Cardi B on your side. Now you've got millions and millions of people. Brilliant. Brilliant. I hope she doesn't remember when she stuck that 38 in my face and said, are you married? Because if you are, you're dead to rights. Swear to God that happened. No, of course not. <laughs> But it happened to a lot of other guys, remember? Yes. She'd take him up into the Love Shack room. She'd take him around the world in 80 seconds and then pull a Thule out at 38 and said, would you like to die or would you like me to tell your wife? 
All right, up the ducats. I want the Mula Shmula. I want the dead funny. presidents. All right. Listen, Curtis, great job as always. Don't forget, coming up noon to one this afternoon, the Rip and Read with Curtis Sliwa. You can catch Curtis overnight weekends and every day here. Still to come, Rich Lowry, Miranda Devine, Rudy Giuliani, Joe Murray, and Siggy Flicker. It's a huge Tuesday edition of Sid and Friends in the Morning, and we'll be right back. Thank you, Curtis. I this is Sit in Friends in the Morning. Friends, how many of us have them? Friends. 77 WABC. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. I got the feeling that something ain't right. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. Rich Lowry is set to join us momentarily, along with a bunch of other great guests. Miranda Devine, Woody Giuliani, Siggy Flicker, Joe Muley. But I do want to check in quickly. Israel, my buddy Judah Honigman has uh, called in. In fact, I met Judah's parents and sister at uh, Dove Hikens' shul on Saturday. They're a wonderful, wonderful family. Now I know why uh, Judah is such a good kid. Judah live from Jerusalem this morning. Good morning, buddy. How are you? Sid, what's going on, buddy? How are you? I'm good. You tell me. You called in and uh, said, Justin, I want to hop on for a couple of seconds. What's the latest there? Yeah. You know, I, I heard you talking to Curtis about the uh, this hostage deal, this ceasefire deal. And, and you know, I, I wanted to comment on it a minute. First of all, my, my general feeling is no pause, no ceasefire. You know, we're, we're in a place where we're, we're beating them into submission. Our soldiers are going strong. I think there's no reason for us to pause now. But obviously, on the other side, we have the families of all these hostages, and it's very difficult position to be in but my my stance on it Sid which I I think you'll agree with you know that they're talking about a three to one ratio right now you go back 12 years like you and Curtis were just talking about there was hundreds there was 200 you go back 12 years ago Israel released 1027 terrorists in the Gilad Shalit deal and on the other hand you have all these people on social media you're getting it Sid you spoke about it yesterday blasting you about the loss of Palestinian lives well if one Israeli soldier's life is worth 1,027 terrorists in the case of Gilad Shalit, and if one Israeli hostage's life is worth the case of three Palestinians, then that ratio should go across the board. And if you take a life, we're taking three or five or ten, and we're going to go as hard as we have to go to get this done. I don't disagree, and uh, we'll see what happens, but I think you made a whole lot of sense there just now, Judah. But again, we will uh, we'll see what happens later on today. They're saying that a decision uh, is imminent, could come down as early as today. And, of course, when it does, if it does, certainly, Judah, feel free to call back tomorrow morning and talk about what may very possibly happen later on today. So before we get to Rich Lowry, thank you for that. Judah Honickman, once again, live from Jerusalem. Talk Radio 77 WABC. You're my best friend. This is Sid and Friends in the Morning. For my friends. 77 WABC. Congratulations, birds. 
Joe Biden celebrated his 81st birthday yesterday, but he's 81 going on 120. This moron yesterday, while he pardoned these two turkeys, really is a moron. He tried to make some pop culture reference and compare the turkeys to some Taylor Swift concert. But then he confused Taylor Swift with Britney Spears. I swear to God, you can't make this up. Here he is yesterday, Joe Biden, at the turkey pardoning ceremony, mixing up Taylor with Brittany, cut number now, 13. Just to get here, Liberty and Bell had to beat some tough odds, the competition. They had to work hard to show patience and be willing to travel over a thousand miles. You could say even this harder than getting a, a ticket to the Renaissance tour or or, or uh, uh, Brittany's tour. She's uh, down Brittany. in, it's kind of warm in Brazil. Very right warm. Look, folks. The Britney tour, it's kind of warm in Brazil. He meant to say Taylor Swift. I mean, it's so bad at this point. And that's that's just funny. You know, the fact that he's a crook and his family's involved in taking money from all of our enemies, that our economy is a mess. They don't know it on The View. They don't know it. They think he's got a great sense of humor. Quote Ana Navarro yesterday, the one thing Biden has besides heart that Donald Trump doesn't have is a sense of humor. Sonny Hostin, that moron on The View yesterday, Joe Biden has returned the soul to this country. I don't know where she lives. She makes a lot of money. God bless her. She's living a real nice life. There is no soul in this country. This country is dead here and away. And the man responsible for all of it is the aforementioned Joe Biden. Rich Lowry is the editor of the National Review. He's usually on Mondays, couldn't make it yesterday, but kind enough to join me this morning. First of all, happy Thanksgiving. Rich, how are you? Same to you, Sid. Good. You know, I'm not a pop culture maven like you, but even I know the difference between Taylor Swift and Britney Spears. I mean, it's so pathetic. I mean, just stay away from it. If, you don't, if you're going to mess it up like that, just stay away from it. But on a serious note, we just had Bill O'Reilly do his morning message. O'Reilly said that Joe Manchin is seriously considering running as the independent. And he says if he does that, that pretty much destroys Biden because that'll split the vote. And right now, even skewered Democrat polls like NBC have Donald Trump ahead of Joe Biden. Do you think he's right if Manchin jumps in? That really means the end of Joe Biden And do you believe these polls that right now have Donald Trump, even the skew-to-the-left polls, Mm -hmm. that have Donald Trump beating Joe Biden? I do. I still believe the election were held today. Donald Trump would beat Joe Biden, and I think it's a a toss-up next year. If you're a Democrat, you don't want another, um, you know, I was going to call Joe Manchin a major Democrat. I guess maybe you can call him a major Democrat, you know, sitting U.S. senator. That's just intuitively not good for you. And this is one reason these polls may get all uh, kind of mixed up next year because you throw RFK in some of these matchups, like there was that New York Times poll that had the swing states and Trump ahead in five, five out of six uh, over Biden. But then you threw RFK into the mix, and Trump wasn't winning so many swing states anymore. Now, I don't think RFK is going to be at 22 percent the way he was in that New York Times poll. When people uh, realize what, what kind of Kennedy he is, he's not, not kind of the, the standard Kennedy people expect when they just see the name. But um, – 
this there's more there's going to be more appetite for some sort of independent or third party bid at any time since 1992 when Ross Perot got 19%. Yeah, I agree with that. So Biden of course did very well with the young voters when he beat Trump last time, if you believe he beat Trump. Uh but that ain't happening this time because it turns out that uh, all these young kids are bad and their pro-Palestinian <laughs> supporters are bad kids. And now they actually think that President Biden who was the guy that basically, basically kept Iran going and was the man who was complicit in these Hamas attacks on Israel. It's amazing because he did all that to hurt Israel, yet these young dopey kids think he's pro-Israel because of what he says on television. So now he's against them. The Arabs are against them. States like Michigan will never vote for Joe Biden. So Biden is in trouble in so many places even for stuff he's not really enthusiastic about. Yeah, the Hamas wars turned out to be a major wedge issue for him. He can go with majority opinion. You know, most Americans, thank God, are still reasonable on this and pro, pro-Israel. pro Or he can go with his left and where all the kids are, and, and that's tilting towards Hamas. Um, and well, well, let me ask you about that, because there's yeah. a column in, in one of the major newspapers today that says that Joe Biden may really have to reconsider his rhetoric on Israel if he wants to win. you think he's above that? Uh, no, I, I, I don't think he's above that. I think he easily could do that. I think we've, we've seen some of it. You know, the reason why everyone says, you know, do you condemn anti-Semitism or look, someone's tearing down a poster here, they say Islamophobia is try to appeal to those kids. You know, a, a mostly made-up phenomenon when you have a, a real cataract of anti-Semitism all around the country that's un, unsettling and making Jews feel unsafe. They want to talk about Islamophobia exactly for this political purpose. So um, th- I think they're keenly aware of it. I think he's going to try to uh, um, cater to this sentiment as, as much as he as much as he can. I had an interesting discussion yesterday with Andrew Giuliani because I had a uh, beautiful Shabbos lunch with the former assemblyman from Brooklyn, Dove Hyken. He's a dear friend of mine, his lovely wife, Shani, the rabbi, a whole thing on Saturday. And one of the folks at that lunch, who will remain nameless, is a big uh, Nikki Haley fan. And I bump into a lot of people that love Nikki Haley. They are Republicans, they despise Trump, and they want Haley to win. And I tell them what I've been telling you for months. It doesn't matter how Haley does against Biden, because you can't take on Biden unless you beat Trump. In other words, you've got to win the NFC championship game before you get to the Super Bowl. It doesn't matter. There's there's a Harvard-Harris poll yesterday. Let's see. I I, I thought I took a photo of it in my phone, so maybe let's see. Here we go. Republican GOP primary nationally, which isn't as as important as Iowa or New Hampshire, but it's indicative. Trump, 67 DeSantis, nine. <laughs> Haley, eight. You're like, okay, yeah. all right, all right, all right. Come on. There's you know, one, there's one. the field. Right. Let's stop, get stop, head-to-head. Right. Head-to-head. Trump, 75. DeSantis, 25. Okay, but Haley's been rising. Head-to-head with Haley. Trump, 81. Haley, 19. Uh, thank you. So all these stats is what I've been yelling about for months. It's ridiculous. She goes up one point in Iowa, two points in New Hampshire. All of a sudden, she's a she's a contender. She's not. She's going to get destroyed, as is DeSantis. They're going to get destroyed. So you would think at some point that the uh, Republicans would just do what they need to do, which is, you know, uh, unite around Donald Trump. But, you know, Giuliani told me something interesting yesterday, too. He said, look, Nikki Haley had the chance to stay with the ship when, in fact, Donald Trump was getting beat up a couple of years ago or run. And she ran. 
She stabbed the president in the back. And she has spent nearly this entire campaign really demonizing President Trump. Not as bad as Chris Christie, but a close second. His uh, his con- his uh, contention is she's not a great leader. She's not a great lady. And, in fact, she's kind of selfish and vengeance. What do you think about that? Well, I, I think she she got out. You know, a lot a lot of people, let's be honest, said, uh, did not have good ends with, with Trump. You know, they they were fired and uh, over Twitter, or, or they quit in bad circumstances. So she she managed to get out with uh, with a, with a friendly departure, which was was which is kind of important. And look, you know, she's ambitious. It's her right to to run for president. I think she's been good in the debates. You know, she's she comes across as is uh, tough and, and knowing what she thinks. So she has gained. But again, your point is that she, she's gained within this like little micro, microcosm of the Republican field. So she's gained on DeSantis, right? You know, but they're, they're competing in high single digits or, or low doubles. So it's just it's nowhere close uh, to Trump. I still think, you know, there's some chance in Iowa or New Hampshire something can happen. But um, he, he's, he's obviously the prohibitive and, and bold capital letters favorite. What could happen in Iowa and New Hampshire to change this? What? Well, I think you need – so there was a poll in Iowa yesterday. It was good for Trump. You know, something like 43, yeah. then DeSantis 17, <laughs> uh, Haley 17. That's not so close. you need one of them to collapse <laughs> and then get all the support of the other. Rich, I'm not Rich. sure that's going to happen because they're fishing in slight, slightly Rich, different let, let's, let's say that happens today. Now, my math is good. Let's say one of them collapses. Okay, my math is good, and Haley gets all of DeSantis's 17 points. You realize Trump is still 10 points better. <laughs> Ten. <laughs> uh, spoiled by math again, Sid. <laughs> no, I feel badly because people who, who hate Trump hate him so much that they delude themselves. But you just read all those numbers. I mean, it's embarrassing how poorly oh, yeah. the rest of these candidates are doing. Including yeah, Haley. Nationally, it's a, it's, it's, a, it's a stomping. It's a little closer in Iowa and New Hampshire. And I'm just saying those states break late, so I'm not going to be as definitive as you are, but there's no doubt that uh, Trump you know, has like an 85% chance of winning the nomination. And do you think, because a lot of folks still don't think it's going to be the case, do you think that Joe Biden will in fact be the Democrat nominee in 2024? I still do, unless something terrible happens, you know, just an awful fall or some other health event. I think he's dead set on it. I think the only one who could convince him not to do it would be Jill. Uh, but she presumably likes being first lady the same way he likes being president. And if, if he wants to do it, there's just no way to convince him not to. So, uh, well, well, what if what if it's not something medical, which is certainly a very real possibility? We see that every day. What if these House Republicans bring home one more, one more piece of real evidence that attaches Joe, which we don't know we know he's attached already, but these morons need more. So what if you have one more real piece of evidence that attaches Joe to Hunter and all this becomes very real? I think that, excuse me, sir, I think they'll discount whatever it is. It doesn't matter. I mean we have we have checks now, right? We talked for a year. Where, where's the smoking gun? We need checks. We got checks, right? He gets the there's a forty a four hundred thousand dollar tranche from a Chinese energy company, and Biden gets um, 
40,000 uh, 40, of it, right? And I, I was just to say I'm not very good at math, which I'm not. But I have worked that out. That's 10%. Which, by the way, we so heard from Miranda guy, Devine. Right? What, right, the, the big guy gets 10%. That's yeah, right. So this is what we've, what we've heard from Bob Alinsky and all, all these people that's been discounted. Oh, you know, they don't know what they're talking about. They're making it up. No, it was true. He was in on the deal. But have you seen this in the front page of the New York Times? Do you see it leading CNN? I think they'll discount anything. I don't think it matters now. What, whatever it is, it's, it's not going to play in the media, and they're going to let them skate. Well, I'm glad you hopped on today. I know you're not feeling like a million bucks, but uh, you're great nevertheless, really great. Have yourself right. a happy sure and healthy day. Thanksgiving. Yeah. We'll do it next All week. Best to you and your family. Thank you, Rich. There he is, the editor of the National Review, the great Rich Larry. Terrific again. That wraps up the second hour of today's show. Still a lot more to do. Next hour is a big, big hour. New York Post columnist Miranda Devine. She's got a new story out. New film gives the real truth in the face of the George Floyd lies. You know that officer in Minneapolis lost the appeal yesterday, which is good. I think he was innocent, Chauvin, of murder. But what this country did afterwards, much like Biden, really embarrassing. Miranda Devine and Siggy Flicker coming up next, hour three of sitting friends in the morning. Congratulations, Bird. Talk Radio 77 WABC. This is Sit in Friends in the Morning. Entertaining and informative. Boy, you're my best friend. 77 WABC. Just about guaranteed every time the great New York Post columnist, and she is great, Karen Goodwin of the two best writers in the country, and they both work for the New York Post. 
Although the New York Post um, did not allow me to write an op-ed piece last week on Israel, which I'm not happy about, some guy named Cunningham and uh, some other person, I forgot her name, it doesn't matter, but I still think that it's the best paper in the country, and uh, I still think that Miranda and Michael are the best columnists in the country. But again, whenever she's on, we play a band that rears from Australia, because she's from Australia, and I didn't know this, but something tells me that Midnight Oil, who sings that song, Lewis, must be from Australia, yes? Of course. Ha <laughs> look at you! And the lead singer was, uh, I think he was in Cong- the government there. Is that right? Yes. Miranda must know all this. Of Here course. she is, the very talented columnist, my friend, columnist Miranda Devine. Did you know that the lead singer of this band, Miranda, was involved in Australian government? Yes, I did. He's a real lefty, actually, um, and kind of, um, yeah, n- not my cup of tea. <laughs> yes, he was briefly, briefly a senator, Peter Garrett. He's a big, tall guy with bald hair, bald head. Um, yeah, so yeah, that they were a very popular band, and you know that song in particular was was really big. But it sort of tainted for me by his politics. You know, it's funny you say that, Miranda, because. I think I've caught myself in a lie a bunch lately. See, I fancy myself as a guy that I can get beyond all that. Like, I still love Bruce Springsteen and the right hates him. I still like Barbara Streisand. I still like De Niro. There are certain actors that I'd love to work with. So there is there is evidence that I'm above that, that I'm not totally crazy. But I will tell you that more and more lately I'm saying the same thing you just said just now, which is, I don't know if I can like that person because they're too far to the left. I think it's happening to yeah. almost all of us. Yeah, I know. It's a pity. Um, and, look, if I liked his music more, I might, I might overlook it. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> like Bruce. Like Springsteen. Yeah. I love Springsteen. And, by the way, something tells me, Miranda, I don't know this, because I love Springsteen and I love you too. And something tells me that Bono is probably not on the same page as me with a whole bunch of stuff. So I actually purposely try not to find out how Bono feels about certain things, right? right? Exactly, exactly. And, you know, it was impossible to to turn a blind eye to Peter Garrett because he was right in your face. You know, he was there in in government. He was the senator who was ranting and raving all the time. So, but yes, you're right. Same with Bono. I just try and avoid, because I do like you two. So I try and avoid uh, listening to his stuff. But also he's not, like, he's sort of just a bit of a bleeding heart and a bit impractical. I, I don't know if he's that, that, He's not that malicious. He's not right. really far left. I think right. he's just a bit squishy and humanitarian yeah. and, and impractical <laughs> and doesn't really know how what human nature is like. Maybe that's where I feel. I think you just described him perfectly. This is a brilliant Miranda Devine. That was actually perfect. Before we get to this uh, George Floyd story, which you had in the New York Post yesterday, you were the one who uncovered the Hunter Biden story from day one, the laptop, the lies. You know, eventually Tony Bobolinsky and Tucker Carlson came along, even people like Rudy Giuliani at my own station. But you were really the forefront. You were at the head of this whole thing. Now we've got uh, a lot of proof. We've got checks. We've got all kinds of things that the House Republicans have and can use against the Bidens. But still, still, all these Democrats refuse, refuse to acknowledge 
that Joe Biden is, in fact, the big guy, and he made tons of money because of his son's dealings. Is that ever going to change? Well, it doesn't look like it. You know, they're in denial, and they really can't, can they? Because once they admit it, they're admitting that the president, their president, who they're putting up for re-election, is a crook. So they just they have to remain in denial, and they're able to do it because the media is so complicit. You know, we had this ridiculous story the other day in the Washington Post, 5,000 words supposedly looking at the Hunter Biden situation, and it was just all excuses. And, of course, there was the usual boilerplate paragraph, which is always in the Washington Post and the New York Times, which says, oh, well, you know, there's no evidence that Joe Biden had anything to do with this, um, that, or that this is it, Joe Biden improperly benefited from his son's work or used his office to assist the younger Biden. No evidence. I mean, there is so much evidence of that. <laughs> At the moment, there is no evidence of, like, checks from uh, Burisma, the Ukrainian company, um, to Joe Biden with Joe Biden's name on it. There's not none of that. But, gosh, there is plenty of evidence that um, that Joe Biden used his office to help Hunter Biden. He, he put him on Air Force Two to go to China and do a deal. What's that? I agree. And all those trips on, um, you know, uh, Air Force One, uh, listen, there's no doubt they're dirty. But like you said, uh, they remain in denial. Folks are not in denial. Just They know better, but they just won't admit it because... They want a Democrat to win, and they hate Donald Trump. Even Republicans hate Donald Trump, and those are the folks that are pumping up people like Nikki Haley, who has no chance, I mean zero chance, or Ron DeSantis, who has no chance. When will Republicans come to the realization it's been over for months, it's over, Donald Trump is going to win the primary and unite around our only hope to fix this country? Well, they're going to do it the, the time they usually do, which is during the primaries. I mean, it's, we're, we're not there yet. You know, we, we have to wait till January's Iowa, Iowa caucuses, and then you've got February, you've got New Hampshire, and then we move on. And then I would imagine Nikki Haley's going to hang on for North Carolina, which is her home state. Um, so, I, I, you know, it's just the usual thing. And, and I don't... I don't think it is right to try and curtail that. I know that um, that Donald Trump continually is, is telling the RNC, shut down the primaries, no more debates. He can't do that. You know, um, he, he doesn't get crowned the nominee. He has to earn it. Yeah, and, I agree. Um, so just the process has to, has to go through. Fair and enough. The, you know, as soon as the primary voters make that decision, then everyone will unite and rally around probably Donald Trump or whoever the nominee is. Um, And, you know, you just have to trust in the wisdom of those voters. And um, if if they don't choose Donald Trump and they choose who I would think would be Ron DeSantis, who would be, I think, a good choice, um, then... You know, people have to unite around that as well, because otherwise we're going to have Democrats doing even worse to the country. Imagine if they get eight years or 12 years to continue what they've been doing. I agree. But I really believe that DeSantis killed himself here. He has no chance of winning this primary. None. Neither does Haley. And uh, both, you know, both of these folks, I, I believe whoever Trump picks 
as his VP. And he's going to win the primary. It's over. Stop. He's going to win. So whoever he picks as the VP has a real good chance of being the president for the next eight years and guaranteeing people like you and I 12 years. I know you like DeSantis, but he's getting murdered. He's down by 54 points as of yesterday. He's not making that up by the time Iowa comes along. So the next person could run this country for eight years after Trump. Then you get 12 years of Republican rule. But DeSantis and Haley spend so much time bashing Donald Trump that the both of them have pretty much, pretty much made sure they'll be nowhere near Donald Trump's cabinet. I don't get that. I don't get it. Well, I don't. Well, yeah. I mean, maybe Nikki Haley was auditioning to be vice president. Um, but uh, look, you know, I don't think that's fair. Ron DeSantis has had more than twenty million dollars spent on a- attacking him by Trump, the Trump campaign, or the Trump PACs, and he's spent less than a million attacking Donald Trump. So that's true. Um, yeah. I don't think he spends yeah. his time attacking Donald Trump. That's true. And, you know, national polls are meaningless. This is this is uh, you know this is state by state, and um, I don't think you can say it's over yet. And if it was over, then Donald Trump wouldn't be spending so much money against Ron DeSantis. Okay. We... So I, you know, I, 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 I thought that Donald Trump was a fantastic president, and he will be a fantastic president again if he can win. But he's got. You know, the Democrats have tied him up with 91 felonies and, you know, he's got enormous stamina and his doctor just put out that statement yesterday saying he's in excellent health, including excellent cognitive health. And I'm sure it was no coincidence that that statement came out on Joe Biden's 81st birthday. But, um, you know, I, I just think we have to be realistic about his prospects of winning the general election. I think that... He there, he motivates Democrats and independents who hate him to come out and vote against him. And so, you know, Joe Biden didn't get 80 million votes by himself. He got a lot of those votes because people didn't want Donald Trump. No, no doubt. And that's because yeah. Donald Trump's been maligned yeah. and propagandized against. I, it's completely unfair, but it's the reality, and it's not going to be turned around. Oh, no, there's no question. One... You're right. No. Joe, Joe Biden didn't win that election. Uh, they voted against Donald Trump, not for Joe Biden. We'll see. we got a little bit of time left to go here, but right now it does look like Trump has built an insurmountable lead. But like you said, as Yogi Berra once said, it ain't over till it's over. This column yesterday, new film gives real truth in the face, Miranda, of George Floyd lies yesterday. Derek Chauvin, the cop in Minneapolis that was arrested for the murder of Floyd, lost his appeal. So it does not look like Derek Chauvin is going to see daylight anytime soon. But yet this movie, when I read uh, the column from yesterday, whether it's the medical examiner, Dr. Andrew Baker, whether it's uh, the young lady who worked for the local CBS affiliate, Liz Collin, in the Twin Cities. This movie goes out of its way to explain that there was a lot of misinformation, lies about the uh, the way George Floyd died. And, of course, the government lied time and time again with action since. So tell us about this new eye-opening movie that you believe really shows that whatever we heard about George Floyd is all lies. Yes, but look, this is a must-watch documentary. It's called The Fall of Minneapolis. It was crowdfunded. It was made by um, a local anchor who lost her job because she was married 
to um, the, the police union chief of the Metropolitan, um, uh, sorry, Minneapolis uh, Police Department. And um, it's, it's, that's the reason I think that people, Derek Chauvin spoke to her, um, a whole lot of cops who serving, but also most of them have retired since then. They left because they could not deal with the way that police force had just broken down and the city, the crime is out of control in Minneapolis because the local council led by that, remember that soy boy mayor, Jacob Fry, yep. who um, ordered the abandonment of the third precinct police station, allowed it to be burned to the ground by the mob. Um, they, that city council uh, decided they wanted to defund the police. So they effectively did. I mean, there's still a police department now and they're, they're trying to get it refunded. But just the other day, um, the, the city council refused to, to allow it to get refunded. I don't know why any cops stay there, but they've lost hundreds. And what this documentary shows is the utter injustice. It shows how that, that Derek Chauvin um, it is, is just everybody in the country thinks that he kneeled on the neck of George Floyd and killed him. Well, body cam footage shows that he was actually kneeling on his shoulder. And the evidence in this documentary shows that he was using an approved manoeuvre from the the Minneapolis Police Department. It's in the training manual. All the cops get taught how to use that. Yeah, but if I, if I remember correctly, Miranda, not to uh, cut you off, but it wasn't even the maneuver he used. It was the amount of time. In other words, if he had his knee, wherever it was, for two or three minutes, it would have been one thing. But according to all reports, it was somewhere between nine to 12 minutes, which would have killed anybody, even somebody under the influence of fentanyl. That was the major issue, No. No, because the other thing that this documentary brings out is that the initial uh, autopsy report showed that there was no asphyxia, that there was no um, pressure on the neck that caused his death. He had severe underlying um, heart disease, uh, cardiovascular disease, and also enough fentanyl to kill someone four times over. There's, um, in the body cam footage, it shows that he has um, pills in his mouth he did that in a previous police stop. He put his drugs in his mouth. Um, and the, you're right, it, it was too long. But 36 seconds after they put him on the ground in this approved hold, um, they called the, the EMS, they called the ambulance. The ambulance didn't arrive, even though the fire station is like three blocks away. And they show that that happened because the fire station got the wrong information, went to the wrong place. Then it took... Uh, it took 20 minutes for them to get there. It took something like, you know, 15 minutes or 12 minutes or whatever for the ambulance to get there. Um, if they'd got there on time, they could have probably given, um, you know, George Floyd something, given him some medicine, given him uh, you know, given him heart massage, whatever, and he might have been alive. But it was never, never said, um, never came out in the trial how what happened why it was took so long for the medicos to get there, and so it's you know I agree with you. I, I, I you know you, when you watch the video, you just think to yourself, why doesn't Chauvin do something? Um, you know, why doesn't he flip him over and give him mouth to mouth or something? Obviously, the guy's conked out, um, he's unconscious, but he didn't commit murder, and so that's that's the injustice. And gotcha. the other cops. Two of them had just been out of the academy three and four days. Yeah, they're yeah. serving three and a half, four years. Yeah, and 
what this documentary also shows is that there were three prosecutors who walked out, who refused to do this case because they said it was unethical and unjust uh, to charge these guys with, you know, aiding and abetting murder, second-degree murder. Um, and, uh, and now that's come out, as has the interference by the FBI. Um, they met with the medical examiner, um, and just after they met with him, um, he changed his autopsy report oh. to say, oh, well, you know, there was... Yeah. Oh. So, um, and then you have the lies that came from uh, the lawyers, um, you know, the ambulance-chasing lawyer, Ben Crump, um, that came swooped in straight away uh, to a so-called assist the Floyd family. And they certainly did because they got, got them $25 million or something. And that announcement came during the Chauvin trial. Um, but, you know, they, they said, oh, there was no underlying health, health problems. That's what their pet private um, doctor just said. Yeah. We know that's not true. And, yeah. Yeah. and oh, the yeah. judge, yeah. the judge refused to allow the, the training manual in. He refused to change venue. He refused to sequester the jury. So they had to walk every day through the gauntlet of that mob, bang and chanting and demanding yeah. a yeah. guilty yeah. verdict. You know, look, uh, if you wrap this uh, great conversation up, you're amazing. You know, I think you're great. And thank you for coming on. Regardless of whether or not uh, the, the, the verdict was just or not, the fact that we turned this country upside down and made this guy's face the face of a revolution, when the truth is he was arrested nine times, put a gun in a pregnant woman's stomach. He did not deserve to die. You always have to say that. But he was a scumbag. He was a low-life criminal scumbag. He did not deserve to die, but certainly this country didn't have to turn itself upside down. And for all you folks upset about January 6th, you're not paying attention. Because on any given night during the summer of 2020, in any town, Atlanta, Portland, New York, Chicago, or Atlanta, those were insurrections, burning down police stations, people garnering weapons, beating up innocent people in the streets. Those were insurrections, not January 6th. Spot on. So well said. Honestly, Sid, that's that's the story. We've been lied to about January 6th so much, and the 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 riots of this that summer of 2020 which were politically motivated to undermine Donald Trump yep. obviously yep. i mean i think it worked i think it, it created an atmosphere yep. of chaos and yep. lawlessness yep. that he could do nothing about uh, listen i i, I, I what they uh, listen Martha, i talked to republicans who say it was the worst day in the country's history. I mean, look, it was an embarrassing day. It was a bad day. I don't defend it. Yeah. Now, Trump didn't tell these people to do that. They did it on their own. He certainly waited too long yeah. to stop it. It was a bad day. But to start comparing that day to 9-11 or any given day in the summer in Atlanta, you're just being ignorant. You're being stupid. You're being biased. It was not nearly that bad. One person died that day, and that was a young lady shot by a black cop who was never prosecuted to this day. You know that. Uh, it, it, the irony of that, that it was, you know, we'd had all these riots over supposed police violence. And then, then this woman gets shot, this unarmed Trump supporter, tiny woman, a veteran. She gets shot dead by a cop. We're not allowed to know his name. He gets shielded. He's Nancy Pelosi's pet, pet cop. Uh, it was disgusting. And it was also a way that the Democrats, 
flipped the script because they knew it was very damaging to them, even though it had won them an election, that they were seen as the defund the police mob and they were to blame, they are to blame, for the lawlessness that then spread across the country and yep. remained. Yep. So they flipped the script on January 6th as if they were the defenders of the cops Please. and the Republicans were the anti-law and order people. And it's kind of worked for them. No, it did work, no question. Hey, listen, you're great. The column is great, the George Floyd information, all the amazing work you've done with uh, Hunter and Joe Biden. Please keep coming back, Miranda Devine. We love you here. Thank you so much. Thank you, Sid. Great to be with you. Great to be with you, too. My friend Miranda Devine, the great columnist of the New York Post. We're going to go down to Florida in a couple of minutes. She was once one of the stars of Real Housewives of New Jersey, and now she is maybe the loudest, most impressive, most enthusiastic, most important pro-Israel voice of any woman in the country today. We're going to talk to Siggy Flicker coming up. in the morning 77 WABC like that deal could be announced as early as today. Three Palestinians for every Israeli hostage released could be imminent, could be later on today. So we got a call from Judah Honigman, Judah Honigman, a dear friend of ours who lives in Israel. He doesn't like the deal. I don't think Curtis Sliwa likes the deal. We're going to find out what Siggy Flicker thinks. We'll head down to Boca, talk to Siggy. This is Sid and Friends in the Morning. 77 WABC. People are strange. 
when you strain. People come out. Hey, uh, Lewis, is this the um, the Doors version or Echo and the Bunnymen? This is the the latter, right? Echo and the Bunnymen, right? This was the one they used in that movie, Lost Boys. Remember that movie with um, Jason Patrick and Keeper Sutherland and the Corey brothers, Corey Feldman and Corey Haim? You know, Danielle and I still fight to this day. I thought Val Kilmer did an amazing job playing Jim Morrison in the movie The Doors. And she's like, no, no, Jason Patrick would have been better. The guy that was in this movie, Lost Boys. I'm like, no, he would not have been better. Val Kilmer looked exactly like him. Jason Patrick was way too, and I know Jim Morrison was a great looking guy, don't get me wrong. The Lizard King. But I thought I thought Val was great in that movie. You know? Val Kilmer, was excellent. Excellent. I thought he was great. Me too. Yep. Great. He's great. Yeah. But uh, the the Lost Boys was a good film too. Uh, let me go down to Florida. We're get they're about to get this uh, hostage deal done. I want to get her opinion. Plus, there was one thing we did not cover last week that Siggy wants to talk about. Former Real Housewife of New Jersey star. I'm going to stop saying that. Who cares, God? Right now, she's the most important female voice in the country when it comes to Israel. Who cares about the housewives? My dear friend, Siggy Flicker. Good morning, Siggy. Good morning, my friend, Sid. How are you? I'm doing great. Before we get to Jexit, so this deal is about to get done today. And first of Uh all, I compel all of you to follow Siggy on Instagram. It's a great follow. Great. This yeah, if you could find me, if you could find me, you know, the communists don't like the truth. So they try to censor and shadow ban me. If you can find me, good luck with that. I think it's at Siggy dot flicker, but regardless. Correct. So the uh, the deal is this three Palestinians for every Israeli hostage. So let's assume they give us 50 of our people back. We got to give them 150. Now, I've spoken to one guy in Israel. He's a dear friend of mine. Judah Hanukman was outside Jerusalem, calls his show every week. He does not like that deal. Others have said the same. Others have also said to me, listen, Sid, we value all, uh, Israeli life. It's more important than 100 Palestinians. What does Siggy Flicker feel? I feel like the deal is great, and I'm going to tell you why. I'm going to tell you why. To the Jewish people who are listening, every Jewish life is important. For Hamas, and the rest of the terrorist organizations out there, they don't value life. I would rather give them 150 cockroaches and get back <laughs> our hostages who mean everything. Listen, these barbaric, you can't even call them animals because animals are such kind souls. These, they went in there and took babies and children. What are you going to, babies, children, women, they raped them, they burned them, they tortured them. Who knows what they're doing to them? I think Israel is smart because I'm going to let you know something because I know everything that's going on the backhand in Israel. You can release whatever you want to release, 300, 150, whatever you want to release of their people. We're going to find them. You know, the, the son of Hamas had a brilliant, brilliant, brilliant interview where he says it doesn't matter because now he works for Israel. He says it doesn't matter where the cockroaches go. They can, you can put Elon Musk can put them on Mars. We're going <laughs> to find them. And I'm saying this to every Jew out there that's trembling right now. Get a grip on yourself. Anti-Semitism is for the ignorant and uneducated. Those who are desperately trying to write, rewrite world history and trying to scare the Jewish people. Let me remind you that my friend who started the most wonderful organization, Jexit, which stands for Jews exiting the Democrat Party. 
oh, Am Yisrael Chai, finally, the Jewish people took a massacre for the Jewish people to say, okay, maybe, maybe this party is not for us. I mean, Sid, you had 300,000 unbelievable supporters of Israel show up to Washington, D.C. What a beautiful day. You didn't see any crime. You didn't see any violence. You didn't see any shouting for genocide. You didn't see any shouting for murder. All you saw was beautiful people singing and unbelievable. And then you had the Demon Party. You had representatives from the Demon Party. You had Chuck E. Cheese, Chuck Schumer, get up there and say, Am Israel Chai. And all the Jews are like, you see, you see? They really do like us, Mikey. They really do. And then what did he do? He got off a stage and he went back to the House floor and voted against funding Israel. All the Democrats did. All the Democrats voted against that, just so you know. And and I'll tell you a story quickly. You know that Saturday, Siggy, I I spent the afternoon being honored at a shul in uh, the Five Towns. And I become best friends with a guy that was, for four decades, the great assemblyman at a borough park, Dove Hyken. Dove spent about uh, 70 years as a Democrat. You know Dove very well. Well, I'm sure you know this, but in the last six months, after spending 70 years as a Democrat, he has now officially switched to a Republican. And I have a friend, too, named Liz Pipko. She started a group uh, very similar to Jexit years and years ago, uh, Jews that no longer vote Democrat. So this has been in the making for years and years. I think we still need more Jews to wake up. But I love what Jexit stands for, and I don't know, Siggy Flicker, how any decent Jewish person can vote for a party that has Rashida Tlaib and AOC and Ilan Omar. Right. And and even this administration, which one day cries about the Israelis, but the day before has no issue doing business with Iran. The Democrats are Jew haters. They, they are Jew haters, but they think that the Jewish people, they think they've got, they think they got us where they need us. You know, Biden lands in Israel. Even Israelis who voted for Trump are saying, Biden's doing a great job because he got off the plane, he walked into a few walls, he tripped down 16 <laughs> flights of stairs, and then he says, I'm here for you. And after three minutes, he gets back on the plane, plane and he calls the big boss, Obama, and he says, did I do a good job? Obama says, yes, now release an additional $10 billion to Iran. I, I'm telling the Jewish people people the you were cho- the reason why Jews were chosen and everybody's like Siggy 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 and Michelle Lubin Terrace founder of Jugs that taught me this she goes Siggy do you know what the Jews were chosen for I said for what tell me what we were chosen for to suffer because we suffer for thousands of years no we were chosen to teach the universal laws of ethics and the moral code on how to live life with a moral compass you need to vote biblically biblically not politically and I want everybody in, who's listening to your wonderful show to understand that the jihad is in America. They're all over the world. They want to infiltrate, populate, dominate. They don't want to assimilate. Their goal, because they wrote it in their manual, is Sharia law. But I want every Jew listening here, listening to you, to, to always remember we Jews survived Pharaoh, the Greeks, the Romans, the Inquisition in Spain, the, the Hitler, Germans, the Holocaust, the armies of seven Arab nations. I was born during the Six-Day War. Three Arab nations came after us. We defeated them. In 1973, they surprise attacked us. What did we do? We went to synagogue. We davened. We got our, our AR-15s, and we, we annihilated them. We will survive Ham-ass. I call it Ham-ass because they hate ham and they look like, you know, (laughs) we will survive Ham-ass, okay? But I want everybody to to remember all nations, 
all empires, all cultures, whoever tried to destroy the Jewish people no longer exist. We are still alive. Where's, he, where's Babylon? Where are the Greeks? Where's Alexandra of Macedonia? Where are the Romans? Where's the Third Reich? They are all gone. So now, also, our Christian brothers and sisters who are listening to you, I want to say todaraba. Thank you so much for standing with the Jewish people. You, thank you. You know all too well Genesis 12.3, I will bless those who bless Israel, and I will curse those who curse Israel. The Jewish people are going through a very, very hard time right now because our young, the young are so indoctrinated. They are so stupid. They, are, they will believe anything. Today, everything is backwards. Everything is backwards. We're living in an upside-down world. I want to thank all those who are smart enough to say, hey, wait, wait, wait a second. Israel, on October 7th, gets invaded, and they get 1,200 people died in just a few hours, and then they took over 300 hostages, and everybody's asking Israel to calm down, to calm down. We're to blame that the terrorist organization that the Palestinian people who, who elected and voted for are hiding in mosques, hospitals, and, and, um, and children's schools? How, how are we going eliminate, to eliminate the terrorists? There's going to be civilian casualties on both sides, but we are at war right now, and we must get our precious hostages home, and then we must complete the job. And I believe Israel this time around learned a very big lesson. Israel screwed up in a big, big way. The country is, is all united. You see the, orthodox, the left, the right that was fighting on the streets, they are all united, and I promise you, we will defeat the enemy once again like we always have because Hashem is on our side. But for all those liberal Jews out there, there was a show called Happy Days. And the Fonz, hey, I'm the Fonz. He never wanted to admit when he was wrong. He used to always say, okay, I'm wrong. It was so, it's time for you guys, come on, just admit it and let's get together and move forward together. We have got to save America, the greatest country in the world. Because, listen, right now, you know where the safest place in the world to be? It's Israel. I know people are saying, what is she talking about? The army, the IDF is activated. You're safer over there. Here, we've got a president, or I should say a resident. He left the borders wide open. You've got 15 million illegal aliens. I spoke with Tom Holman last week. You've got jihadis. You've got terrorist cells here. Listen, go follow Brigitte Gabrielle. She knows where, every, where, where they're operating. She's a brilliant friend of mine. And right now, Americans are sitting ducks. So get armed. I just got my seventh gun. Get armed because <laughs> the government is not coming to help you. <laughs> no one is coming to help you. So for every Jew out there, and I love to see this, Sid, all religious Jews, wherever I go, they are buying ammunition and guns. I mean, listen, last time we were, we were you know, slaughtered. We were taken on trains and, and, and to the gas chambers. This time around, honey, listen to me. We are all getting armed. We are stronger than ever, and we are united than ever. So I, I, I'm pleading with all Jews, stand together, get rid of your trembling knees, look at the enemy in the eye. They don't even know. You ask an enemy, 
What are you even? What, what is Palestine to you? What are you talking about? Where are you getting your information? And it's all China with the TikTok indoctrinating our young kids, which, you know what, they've been out of school for so long with COVID and masked up. They, they all look like they're wearing their uh, Habibs, whatever you call them. I mean, it's, it's a crazy world out there, but I'm asking everybody to stay strong. There she is, the next prime minister of Israel. <laughs> I mean, and, and <laughs> follow JexitUSA.org. It's the greatest organization. JexitUSA.org. We were the only organization to come out, the only Jewish organization to come out and hand Donald Trump the Defender of Zion Award at Mar-a-Lago last year. We were closely with the Trump team. We, we love our President Trump, the only man that made promises and kept promises to the Jewish people in the state of Israel. Everybody's like, Siggy, Siggy, you're the biggest Jew, the proudest Jew I've ever met. You hang out with Donald Trump? Wow, I heard he was an anti-Semite. I, oh, I said, really? Listen, on, take the wax out of your ear and yeah, stop stupid. watching. You've yeah, been please. indoctrinated. His daughter is a Jew. His grandchildren are Jewish. He has done more for Israel than any other president in the history of America. All the other president had trembling knees. Oh, yeah, yeah. We'll move the embassy to Jerusalem. And then they got phone call after phone call. Don't you dare do it. Honey, Donald John Trump did it, and he did it with Jerusalem. Oh, listen, not just that. Let's not forget, he recognized the Golan Heights as a part of Israel. Him and Jared Kushner had the Abraham Abraham Accords in place. It was actually going to be peace between Israel and Saudi Arabia. What he did for Israel, people talk about Reagan. Reagan was good, don't get me wrong. Not even close. Donald Trump, the greatest president for Israel, like you said, in the history of the presidency. And you, like I said when I brought you on, uh, the greatest female or male speaker pro-Israel <laughs> in the country today. Another great appearance. Siggy Flicker, thank you so much. Love you, Sid. Thank Love you, you too. so much. Thank God you. bless. God bless you. There she is, Siggy Flicker. She is great. Follow her today on uh, Instagram, and she really does spend her uh, days and nights, spends her days and nights just going out there and spreading love for Israel. That's all she does. So. Why does she only have seven guns? <laughs> you got to ask mean, her that next time. Seven guns. You must have more than two hands, I guess. I don't. Never mind. I think I got to get a gun one of these days. I don't know. I just, uh, what? I'm, I'll begging you. No. What are you begging me? You're never getting it back in the car with me again. If you get a, if you get a gun, yeah. that's gonna, I, that's a pro. What if Danielle? What if Danielle got the gun? That's a little bit better. Now we're getting better. Right. But I don't even throw 100% support behind to her. Not even her? No. She, no. She, she's got more of a fuse than me. Oh, I know that. No, no. There'll be a new morning show host here. No, that's right. <laughs> oh, that's, yeah. I've been in your house a couple times. I don't, either one of you with a gun? Are you kidding? Why not, why not just put a magnifying glass over a praying man? Uh, <laughs> Are you kidding me? That's a great idea. Let me know how that goes. Rudy Giuliani and Joe Muria coming up. Hour number four. I'm sitting friends in the morning, you son of a bitch.
This is Sid and Friends in the Morning. 77 WABC. Sid Rosenberg is a WABC New York radio host, and he joins us now. Sid, thanks for being here. The impact, it's anyone who walks the streets of New York or rides the subways has already seen the quality of life impact. And apparently when it comes to the city's ability to improve that quality of life, you're about to see it get worse. Yeah, you are. You know, look, Will, first of all, good to see you again, pal. But I'm wearing a shirt tonight that says New York stands with Israel. And it's important because it pertains to this story. New York stands with the cops. Eric Adams, nothing personal. I actually like Eric Adams. We've dined together. We've had a nice little friendship. But the truth is, as he calls for more money and complains about the crisis, Will, he caused it. A year ago, he was standing at the front of the bus line saying, welcome to New York. We're a sanctuary city. Come one, come all. You can't call yourself a sanctuary city and then a year later complain we've got too many migrants. It's the same thing with Joe Biden. He's there for Israel, except he's in bed with Iran. All these guys do the same thing. They end up, they start off, I should say, doing the wrong thing. And when it gets real hot and heavy, Will, then they complain. I need more money. This city right now has a crisis of crime like it's never seen. We've got criminals. Then we've got migrants, illegals Mm -hmm. that do commit crimes. And then we've got the real threat, Will, of terrorism. You combine those three things, this city needs 40,000 cops, maybe 45,000, not 28,000. So, Eric Adams, it's nice you care now, but where were you a year ago? Yeah, that's called a uh, bitch slap. Where I'm from in Brooklyn, I bitch slap the mayor. Did sound like them. We dined together, and I do like them, but give me a break, man. That was um, Jesse Watershow, Fox News on Friday night. Will Kane filling in for Jesse. My next guest is the greatest mayor in the history, not just in New York, but any city in the history of this country. Does a great job on this radio station, 3 o'clock every weekday afternoon. I love him like my own relative. He's a great Rudy Giuliani, uh, Rudy, you heard me on Fox News, and maybe you saw it on Friday I night. I think I nailed it, no? I did. It may have been the only time I watched Fox all week. <laughs> <laughs> you were on. I mean, I really am upset with them. But in, in any event, you did a great job. You nailed it completely. You know, and the fact is, you have given the guy every chance. Uh, you really you really overcame what were your own instincts that he that he wasn't the right guy, wasn't going to do the right job to listen to him. And it's a strange combination with him. It isn't de Blasio. It's, it's exactly what you say. He, he, he often promises the right thing and does the wrong thing. And then he creates his own problems and complains about it, which is very, very odd because no matter what, you get less support for a problem you created right. when it exists. Meaning if this were another mayor, right, and he had been complaining somewhat about all the illegals coming in, right, like, stop it, stop it, too many, too many, he'd be in a lot better position to get us the help that we need. But they listen to him and they say, you were you were ahead of us. New York was going to be the best sanctuary city. Everybody should come in. Nobody gets turned over to the police. Uh, you get uh, You get secondary education as well as regular education. Uh, I can't I can't even list all the extra things they would get. I, I call New York City the Uber sanctuary city. Uh, it wasn't just like Chicago or Baltimore or whatever. And it got into the heads of the migrants. 
So you, you listen to people being interviewed down there even eight, ten months ago. Where, where are you coming? New York. I'm coming to New York. They're not even saying United States. I'm coming to New York. I'm coming to New York. I'm coming to New York. So when Abbott asked people, where do you want to go? The biggest group of the group want to come to New York. Abbott didn't say, you go to New York, you go to Los Angeles, you go here. He just offered them, where do you want to go? New York, there you go, big bus full. So, they, act, yeah, they actually, uh, before I came on that segment, Will Kane ran a little video piece and said exactly what you said. They interviewed a bunch of uh, men, and they asked them flat out, where do you want to go? And every one of them, right. And, and when you look back at how New York treated these people, I mean, uh, Curtis told me a story this morning that there's a young lady, she's nine months pregnant, she's 22 years old, and she's sleeping on a bench outside of Nathan's because she was thrown out of her shelter for the migrants. So time and time again, these people are being placed ahead of our own homeless Americans, veterans, Americans. They're getting the four-star hotel rooms. They're getting the meals. They're getting the, the mini bikes. They're getting all this stuff. And Americans are being thrown to the streets, Rudy. Yeah, I know. This is, this, is, this is a perfect application of the priorities of the National Democratic Party. I mean, it isn't like uh, this is exactly uh, what Biden does. Uh, America comes last. We make decisions that favor every other country. If it happens to be in our interest and it favors another country, fine. If it isn't, they hold us. And uh, what's going on with immigration? The man just keeps his mouth shut and he keeps the border open. I mean, we're getting we're getting slaughtered by an invasion. And he says nothing about it. it it's like I'm going to make believe it doesn't exist. Meanwhile, people are dying of fentanyl at record levels. I'm going to go talk to the biggest liar in the world and the biggest mass killer in the world. He's going to promise me he's going to do something about fentanyl, and I'm going to give him massive economic break. <laughs> I mean, this is I mean, this is uh, uh this is a disaster, yeah. and the only real question is, does he do irreparable damage between now and the day, hopefully, God willing, Trump takes over? That's a good question. You know, you, the other thing uh, that you have to ask is the cop situation here. You heard me talk about the three different categories of criminals. You've got your everyday criminals, which, by the way, Rudy, they're still slashing people on the subway. They're still mugging people in the streets, committing rapes and murders around New York City. Numbers may be down, but still certainly way too high. Then you've got the illegals and a percentage of those folks come into our country and commit crime. And then you've got the scariest one of all, which hasn't reared its ugly head yet. But according to Christopher Ray, the head of the FBI, it's coming any day now. And that's a terrorist. So you've got criminals, illegals, and terrorists, and we're going to deplete the police force by fifteen thousand. Yeah, you know, I, I, I don't know. I don't know if people realize how low down we are. So my biggest number was forty-one thousand. Right. That was just that was for a period of time. My average number, and the one that I felt comfortable with, having enough to do everything I needed to do, was thirty-nine thousand. And. Uh, Rarely was I below 39,000. When crime went all the way down, I got a lot of uh, efforts to take the police department down. I resisted it. Bloomberg agreed with it. He took it down to about 37. And that's where we stood when de Blasio came in. He took it down to about 35, 34. We have a chance in the next two years of going below 30,000. Now we're talking about 
Dinkins' numbers, possibly even lower than Dinkins. And we're a bigger city, and we've got more challenges. And we may not have more crime, but in certain categories we do. In other categories we don't. But we have much bolder crime. It's a different kind of crime. Psychologically, it may even be worse. I don't remember multiple cases of uh, older men or women sitting uh, on a street corner or standing in front of a bus or subway and just getting hit in the head for no reason. I remember robberies. Somebody got hit in the head for money. Somebody got hit in the head because they had a fight. But these crimes, these mentally ill crimes, for no purpose, uh, other than to show we're in charge and the cops are nobody, uh, we didn't have those. No, no. I mean, you look, you had, you had really two major areas, which I think, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, resulted in the overwhelming percentage of crimes. You had the, you had the drug trade back then, the crack deal, and, uh, and dealers killing each other, and you had the mob. So there was a lot of murders out there, but they were dealers and the mob. There weren't people just taking to the streets because they were anarchists and weren't scared of police. Is that not the difference? That's much more yeah, yeah, scarier yeah, very, today. Very, sure, that would be a that would be a, a good explanation of a high. You can't say everything, but a good percentage of it. You're absolutely right. And even the crimes that weren't mob or drugs, they had a purpose, a, a terrible purpose. Uh, two lovers fighting with each other. Uh, some you know some guy that owes another guy money. Uh, somebody that hates another guy. Very rarely did we have a crime without purpose. There's something different about our society now that we have crimes that are just committed uh, for no purpose. Part of it is the, the larger number of mentally ill that are out there. And the other part of it is the complete and total disrespect for the police that we taught people in 2020. Because even in, even in our day that we're talking about with more crime, they feared the police more. Uh, if, if, if my cops walked in, people would stop. Even the bad guys would stop. Now the cops walk in and they beat them up. They beat them up, yep. And the cops can't even you do anything why? about it. Because my cops would take their gun out and shoot them. Right, but now they have no nightsticks. They've got no uh, qualified immunity. Uh, they, uh, there's nothing they can do. They almost, they're, uh, afraid, they're afraid to fight back. Right. You know, the, the, I know cops that would tell you I'd rather take a beating than lose my job. I've got to take, take care of my family. 100%. So let me ask you this on the way out, Rudy. If you were mayor today, it's a stupid question because if you were mayor today, you never would have made a lot of the really dumb decisions that my friend Eric has made. And he is my friend, and I wish him well, but he's made some really stupid moves. But assuming that you couldn't help it or it wasn't under your control, and you woke up one morning, right, right, and you woke up one morning and New York what it is today, looking at 5% budget cuts, cutting sanitation when rats run all over the streets, cutting fire, cutting a police force below 30,000 with three different elements of criminals on the streets every day. What the hell would you do to try to fix it? Well, we'd change it. We'd change it, and maybe we'd have to do it in stages. You can't do everything at once, but we try to do everything at once. First, first thing I would do is I'd send a lot of the people back, and I'd send them right to Washington D.C. If if a mayor, if Governor Abbott can rent buses, I can rent buses. So the same bus that took them here is going to take them somewhere else, and it's going to take them where they belong, uh, Washington D.C. That's causing the problem, and we're going to put them in front of the White House, and we're going to put them in front of uh, the uh, the vice president's residence. That's 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 got a lot of room. Uh, second, we're going to accept no more. The buses get turned around. 
we're not, I'm not going to stand there giving them uh, passes uh, to free stuff. The free stuff ends. Working begins. Uh, we, we begin workfare immediately. Not just for them, but everybody on welfare works. We used to do it. We did it for 12 years. It worked beautifully. We had the best welfare-to-work program in the country. We can reestablish that in a day. It won't work for about six months, but it'll work. And uh, that will bring down the number. You believe me, a lot of them move out of New York to begin, the beginning to start work fare. Those numbers come down real quick, real quick. Uh, I, I, t- I do a real check on how many people are on welfare more than one time. This government, his government is incompetent at everything. I bet it's incompetent at that. Uh, I would cut the numbers for dependents. They shouldn't get as much money as they're getting. They should get money, but less. After all, they're not the ones who are productive here. Other people have to work to support them, and we're losing them in record numbers. You lose the people who pay the bills. This city goes down, and we're losing people who pay the bills more than any other city in America. And our state is losing more than any state in America. We got the, for that purpose, we got the worst governor and the worst mayor. So you got to change that uh, immediately. Workfare is a good, good way to do it because it wakes up everybody on welfare. I'm sorry. I got to work 20 hours a week. I got to work 20 hours a week for my welfare. Maybe I should go get one of those jobs that's not filled. Remember, we got unfilled jobs, right? So we shouldn't be paying big welfare when we have unfilled jobs. Yep. We should be yep. encouraging people to fill yep. those jobs. Yep. Then you, you, you got to take that money you take out of dependency programs and restore the $1 billion you took out of the police department. And over a period of time, get them back to 34, 35, 36,000. That yeah. means a morale program. Yeah. Yeah. Now, uh, you, you, uh, for me and the right police commissioner, yep. you know, a Ray Kelly, a Bernie Carrick, uh, uh, got, he's gone now, but Howard Safer, even Bratton, right? the right police commissioner, you're going to get plenty of cops. You'll change that with, with the personality of the leader. Everybody everybody comes to work for a good leader. Everybody leaves when there's a bad leader. Right. No, there's no question. Well, what are you doing? We can that? change that. We yeah, can what? change that. You, you, you pick the right person for mayor yeah. who isn't a double crosser of the police like, like he is. Right. And uh, you're, you're going to get – that morale will come back quickly. They're, they're a good organization. People go there for the right purpose. They just need to be, they need to be supported. They need to be led. And you got to take on Biden. Right. You got to be a Democrat who says Biden is a disaster. He's got to go. Yep. Some Democrat better say that. I mean, the guy. Before long, the guy is going to come out. He isn't going to be able to talk. And they're going to have to just pick him up and move him out of the White House. <laughs> yeah, that time is coming soon. He turned 81 yesterday. He's the oldest 81-year-old I've ever seen. We got to run, but you were brilliant again today. I was going to ask you what you were doing the next five years, but uh, you're going to move to Florida. Let Curtis take that job. I, uh... <laughs> yeah, you know something? <laughs> I have a suggestion. You can save a lot of time about New York sports. Yeah. Just say every New York team lost. You're right. No, the Knicks and Rangers win once in a while, but you're right, Rudy, pretty okay, much. Okay, well, then every once in a while you could have it. You, you could do, you score. Most of the time you could just say, New York teams, they all lost. Oh, uh, you're funny. I love you, Rudy. <laughs> Great job today. Thank you so much. I love all having right, Rudy Giuliani you. on every Tuesday. That was the best move we ever made. Rudy Giuliani every Tuesday on Sitting Friends in the Morning. We'll take a short break. We're going to talk to some folks from a popular hospice in New Jersey. And then Joe Murray. 
His part, big uh, party is coming up this Saturday. The North Pole will be back, sitting friends. Friends in the morning. No, I get by with a little help from my friends. One of the best U2 songs in concert, Desire, by U2. So this got a text from Pete Morgan, Mr. Peerless Boilers. Peerlessboilers.com, PavilionTankless.com. They do build the world's best boilers. You guys got to listen, Jess, Larry, and uh, Patrick. He says, my buddy of 50 years, Jimmy Ventura, you've met him last time in the suite for the Rangers game last week. I remember. His mother, Norma, was at this place you're going to talk about, Villa Marie Claire, very close to my house. He goes, in Ridgewood. He goes I, vi- I visited her there regularly. The place is excellent. Tough time for families, but it's a beautiful place with a great staff for those in need. That was unprovoked. I didn't ask Pete Morgan. I had no idea even who you folks were. Beautiful. But what a great introduction to uh, my three friends in studio, Jess, Larry, and Patrick from Villa Marie Claire. So I have to tell you that no matter what you say, it doesn't matter because Pete Morgan loves the place. <laughs> <laughs> and he gets me Ranger and Giant tickets. So <laughs> on a serious note, uh, he did say that. And, you know, we just we just saw yesterday, guys, uh, Rosalind Carter, 96 years old, first lady passed away, and yep. she was in hospice. I think Jimmy is there, too. But talk about what her last couple of days were like there and and why, in fact, places like yours make these people feel so comfortable. Yeah, absolutely, right? So hospice, when it comes time to have that conversation, is difficult for any family to really have to go through, right? Well, when uh, is the time? Because I've had so many relatives that they feel like, to be completely honest, honest conversation. Sure. Once you do that, it's over. Um, but I think we know it's going to be over, unfortunately, very soon anyway. Right. So when is the real, real right time? Yeah, so the right time really starts when things like curative treatment or any kind of medical intervention is no longer working, right? And that's the biggest piece with this, when you have that conversation with a family member. Now, well, how unfortunately, much time is that, though? Is that days, weeks? Usually hospice can start within six months, but I've had people on our services far longer than that, right? And it comes down to a decision that the families want to make, whether they want to pursue any kind of curative treatment or opt for, I want to be made comfortable and I want to live my last days, weeks and months, really, in that dignity aspect and spend that time with my family and loved ones, as opposed to pursuing any kind of clinical treatment that we would have to get, right? That's the biggest piece at the end of the day that really is the uh, driver for a lot of the families and the patients coming into the villa like this. And so you try to make sure you're available for everybody that's in that spectrum. I would say the vast majority of the people that come to the villa have had a long and happy life, right? It's just the end of the rope for them, uh, something that we're all going to unfortunately see at one point in our lives, right? And then from the other times, you have some of the more what I would consider to be the more devastating cases, right? Unfortunately, someone was just belt a bad hand. They come in, right, and then they wouldn't, they've been given a, a terminal disease, and they have to make that hard decision on whether they want to pursue any kind of curative treatment or clinical trials 
or opt out of that and come onto hospice and just be made comfortable and spend that last time with their family uh, in an environment that really supports that. Gotcha. Patrick, so tell me this. I know the place, and, and uh, Pete is not the only one who told me the place is actually beautiful. In Saddle River, which is a lovely part of New Jersey, I used to live in Tenafly. I know the place has had a, a major renovation. Yes. Tell me about that. Yeah, so the renovations really came from the philosophy around hospice being a two-sided coin, right? And so there's not many freestanding facilities that exist like the Villa Marie Claire. We've always done very well on the patient care side of things, right, making sure that the patients are kept comfortable. But on the other side of that coin, you have the family dynamic that comes into play. And unfortunately, they're the ones left picking up the pieces. And so all the renovations we did, whether it's really enhancing the facility to create an environment that the best way I can describe it, it's how do you take the bells and whistles of a hospital and fit it into a Four Seasons-like environment from the experience perspective, right? And so everyone deserves to have that kind of experience, that rewarding aspect at the end, especially if it's going to be the last place that you're with us on Earth, right? Do you ever uh, sit in, uh, I'm not going to say intervention, but I know sometimes for families, death is a very difficult conversation. Absolutely. I just lost my father three years ago. I'm still a mess. A mess. He died in a hospital in upstate New York, uh, not in a, in a hospice uh, center of care, I should say, but he passed away and it just, uh, I'm not even close to being over, not even close. So you guys ever serve, in, uh, have to intervene, talk to families, make them feel comfortable with making that decision, or is that their talk and then they come to you? No, absolutely. So we have liaisons that will go out and help guide you through that conversation so you can make the best decision for you and your family and for the patients and the loved ones, right? Trying to make that decision on whether one you come on, whether you want to come on to hospice is very difficult for any family member as much as it is for the patient. And so the liaisons are really there to be a guiding factor through that process to make sure that you're making those right decisions at the right time and explaining the philosophy of hospice, the support that you get, and really trying to be an educator or a resource at the end of the day so families can make that informed decision for what's going to work best for them. Last one, you know, the holidays are coming up. Thursday's Thanksgiving happens to be my favorite holiday of the year. And then you've got Hanukkah and you've got Christmas. And then, of course, you've got New Year's. So a doubly difficult time yes. for families who have loved ones who are very, very sick. What do you guys do at uh, Villa Marie Claire just to to make uh, what may very, very well may be their last holiday experience a special one yeah, for the absolutely. families, too. Absolutely. So the whole theme of the villa is kind of built on the family premise, right? So from a family dynamic, you probably go home, right, and for Christmas or Thanksgiving, you're with your family, you have that nice family spread, right? You have a beautiful Thanksgiving in that sense. We mirror that experience the same way in the villa. So in our dining room, we may set up a full Thanksgiving spread family style. So even the families that get together themselves, right, with from other patients and families that we have there can interact and engage with each other, and it's almost that bonding experience where you find solace in people that are going through a similar experience as you, right? Whether it's on the patient side and on the family side. So we try to keep that family dynamic, that family focus piece first, right? It's something that I learned growing up from my mother, really, right? You can settle any grievance or any problem at the dinner table like that, right? Pretty and a much. lot of all of or, or, or the golf course. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Depends on which uh, one you're going for there, yeah. what the grievance is, right? <laughs> True. But at the end of the day, using things like the family piece and the family meals, right, that come in for those kinds of experiences, and then even the Christmas piece, right? We do have carolers that will come back. They go up and down the hallways and sing Christmas carols for any of the families that are there. Nice. We also do little uh, volunteer drives for donations and things like that. So we try to make the whole experience as rewarding and uplifting as possible, right? We want to focus on the positive side and the quality aspect of today, not just the negative side of hospice. All right, Pat, on the way out, for folks who want to learn more about this wonderful place, once again, Villa Marie Claire, tell them uh, the best way to find out more about it, Internet sites, phone numbers, how do they find out? Sure, absolutely. So if you're interested in taking a tour with the Villa Marie Claire and want to learn more, you can visit us at thevillamarieclaire.org. That's our website. 
Uh, you can also shoot an email to a VMC info at holyname.org for any questions on the villa or setting up a tour. You can also reach out to myself directly. My email is P-M-A-R-O-N at holyname.org. That sounds simple enough. Well, it's great to meet you. Thank you very much for stopping by yeah, today. Larry and Jess, you guys, too. You've already gotten a huge testimonial before you even came on the mic about <laughs> how wonderful the place is. Once again, Villa Marie Claire. Happy holidays to you guys, and thank you for making what otherwise is very, very difficult somewhat pleasant. Says a lot about all three of you guys. Yeah. Thank you so much. Beautiful. Thank you. Sit in friends in the morning. 77 WABC. <laughs> You know, it's um, always kind of campish when you're about to take some time off. I never take any time off, you know, never, never. I mean, seriously. But I am taking off a lot of time over the next month, Thursday and Friday of this week, Thursday and Friday of next week, and then the whole week of Christmas into January 2nd. And I need it. I'm tired. <laughs> you know, this uh, job was difficult enough when Bernard was here. God rest his soul. I miss him and love him. And Lou has stepped up and become, well, Lou's just perfect. What can I say about Lou? He's perfect. But it's not easy getting up in the middle of the night and keeping you guys entertained for four hours a day with all the bitching and complaining. You know you're not going to get any better. No. I'm tired. Not without all the guns that you need. I need eight guns. Okay, eight. Right I'm tired now, so I'm, I, I need vacation. So, like, tomorrow's my last day. I mean, until Monday. I'll be back Monday. But still, the prospect of doing the show tomorrow, 24 hours from now, I'm staring at four days without Gene or Levi parked outside my house at 3.55 in the morning. You going to be okay? <laughs> you know what's funny about that is when I'm not here, I'm perfectly okay. Don't get me wrong. Because um, I love my family and we have a good time. But when I start to miss a long period of time, I, I get, I miss it, you know. I do, I miss it. And God forbid something happens big when I'm not on the air and then I'm, I'm itching to get back. You know? But um, this is the time of year we need to do it. So, And Thanksgiving is such a great holiday. It really is. And, you know, all of us have a lot to be thankful for. We'll do a lot of this tomorrow. But most, most people listening to this program right now, even Joey Borgen, Joey Borgen, who got beat up. Remember Joey Borgen got beat up? And uh, now the the assailants, I think 11 o'clock this morning, are going to find out the sentence. But he survived, you know. And lots of folks on October 7th can't say the same thing. So most of us have a lot to be thankful for, whether it's a beautiful spouse, mom and dad, sister or brother, job, whatever it is. Not everything is perfect in our lives, none of us. But I believe this week, the rest of this week, is about gratitude. And looking at the stuff in your life that is great, and you are thankful for. Man, we spend so much time mired in negativity. 
especially here because of the new cycle. It's not our fault. That's just the way it is. That we very rarely take the time to just smell the roses. Now's the time to do it. Now is the time to do it. Between Thursday and then January 2nd, go back to being miserable. I'll be. 2024 comes in. It's going to be a brutal year. (laughs) But at least spend the next five weeks. (laughs) 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 At least spend the next five weeks being thankful for whatever it is, all you've got. And Happy New Year. And Happy New Year. (laughs) Because if you think things were bad in 2023. Oh, baby. Just you wait. (laughs) 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 We done. (laughs) Hey, enjoy Thanksgiving. Yeah, I'm I'm kidding. It's going to be all good. We're going to be all right. (laughs) We're going to be all right. Wake up every morning and you put us on and we'll find a way to get through it. We'll inform you. We'll provoke you. You'll laugh. You may even cry. But when it's all done at 10 o'clock, you'll be okay. Hey, Lewis, you are amazing today as always. You are a great American. Thank you. I was born here. I'd like to stay here. Well, I'm not kicking you out. Okay. So far, I'll stay. Justin, you're a strange kid, but I do love you. Okay. And, uh, okay, great. And he says, okay. And no one was out today because he has some nasty thing on his head that nobody wants to look at anymore. God, it's so grotesque. So Jimmy Flippin filled in and did a tremendous job. Thank you, Jimmy. Thank you, Sid. And I don't mind looking at it. I know I'm sad. I well, you need the job. I, I can't stand looking at that thing. I'm, they better shave that off or knock it off today. I don't know. Do what they got to do. So we're done. We'll all be back, God willing, for our last show before Thanksgiving at 6 a.m. tomorrow morning. So until then, from all of us on Sid and Friends in the morning to all of you, 